Before time began, there was the Triple Takeover Toycast. We know not where it comes from, only that it holds the power to create fortnightly podcasts and fill them with talk of Transformers and other related toy lines. That is how episode 14 on the 2007 Transformers feature film was born. For a time, my co-hosts and I lived in harmony. Like all great power, some wanted it for good, others for evil. I am joined by a writer and photographer who has a mystical bond between toys and rum. It's Liam from Toybox Soapbox. I... I... My mum says I am never speechless. This is proof that she is wrong. (laughs) Oh my god, this is incredible. Also joining us is a toy writer, YouTuber and photographer, a super advanced photographer, probably Japanese. It's eBay user Ladiesman260. Fantastic. Why on earth didn't they get you to do the Optimus Prime voice for the WFC cartoon? eh? You would have been brilliant at it. And I'm Maz from TF Square One. A podcast don't pick the episode, episode picks the podcast. Join us as we take a look at the lead-up, release, reaction, and some of the toys in the 2007 Transformers movie. Bring it. Absolutely wonderful, mate. What can I say? Loved it. You brought the rain. (laughs) That's left cheek. Left cheek. (laughs) How are you lads doing? I don't think we can ever top that. I think my next one, I'm just going to have to retire and just come in and just do it like in the style of Ringo Starr. Like, hello, it's episode 15. That's it. If you can pull off Ringo Starr, mate, I think you've won already. (laughs) Is that going to be the episode on trains? Are you basically going to do Thomas the Tank Engine as Richard Starkey? <laughs> Sorry, I zoned out for a minute there, and suddenly we're talking about pulling off Ringo Starr. I just, I don't know what the... <laughs> I was just checking my notes. What are you talking about the train? I just, you know, I said, what's going on? Notes, <laughs> amateur. I know, tell me about it. I'm going to write something down. I'm getting old, mate. 2007 was a long time ago. Oh, very long time ago. 14 years now. I know, 14 shocking, years since it's the Transformers live-action movie absolutely debut. Absolutely shocking. And yet it seems like yesterday. So funny. There are people who watch that as children who are grown-ups now. That's how scary I that know. is. It's when you, you realise that people got into Transformers through that movie because they saw it as a kid, and that was like their first exposure. And I think it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I love that. But also, for you know, considering that I'm in the category of people that it was kind of you know coming back to Transformers and all of that, it's very scary how, how much time has passed. It's, uh, it's really quite terrifying. Yeah, if you think of yourself being in that movie theatre with someone who'd taken their kid, and that kid is probably now collecting Transformers and is mm. online commenting on your social media posts, that, that's quite mental. Thinking yeah, that way. absolutely. Well, I, I saw something recently, someone was pointing out that actually there was uh, longer between now, as in today, and the 2007 movie than there was between the 2007 movie and the end of Generation 1. That's something just we terrific. mention every time we do one of these reflective <laughs> episodes. Say, we, we have to stop measuring stop. time by the end of Generation <laughs> 1 because we're just going to be very depressed. There's going to be an episode where we're just drunk like God, end it now. I, I love that it's like a common theme of this podcast. Like, how much time has passed and how yeah. old do you feel? Yes. I don't know. But uh, I, I did that, have that on Twitter the other day. Somebody was talking about the movie and they were like, oh, wow, I was dead little when that came out. They were like six. And I'm like, how old are you now? And they're like, 45. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, it sounds about All right. right. So, 2007 movie, episode 14. Uh, just want to be absolutely clear that this is not going to be an episode where we are doing a film review. Uh, we're going to be, like I said, talking about all of the fandom buzz and backlash around the movie. We're going to talk a little bit about the toys and where we were and just that sort of thing. It's more of like a, a flashback to the time and you know, the film is involved. We're going to talk about the soundtrack and the music and the character choices and, and all that stuff. But 
Uh, would also like to say that uh, episode 14 of Triple Takeover is sponsored by TF Source. So please do pop along to tfsource.com. Plenty of movie toys there, for example. That includes Masterpiece movie toys, uh, the original movie toy line because they have vintage stuff and also third-party movie products. So tfsource.com, check them out. And thank you guys for sponsoring us. How scary is it that you just referred to movie toys as vintage toys? That's a fact, isn't it? It's like, think about, yeah. I'm thinking about these toys because I bought them at the time and they do feel of a completely different era now. Like you take mm-hmm. um, a 2007 movie toy and compare it to a modern movie toy and it's a, it's a slightly different thing. Yeah, they're, they're very much like the G1 of movie toys, aren't they? The toys from the time. It's like they're, they're kind of... Uh, it's almost like looking at modern versions of G1 toys versus the G1 toys from the time, the difference in style and everything. It's really frightening. Yeah, and, and at least now I've got... Um, at least I have the memory of buying these toys and what it was like and what the stores looked like. Like back in the Binal Tech episode, we were talking about the Toys R Us in Times Square in the US. And mm. I remember going there after seeing the movie in 2007 and seeing the wall of toys they had and the standee that they had next to it. I remember there were loads of those um, Protoform Optimus Prime toys, you know, the yeah. one that basically looked like a pointy rock <laughs> wall, wall of those. So, yeah, that's really fresh in my mind. And all of the displays in the UK, like in Woolworths versus Toys R Us versus anything. So, yeah, I'm just glad I've got the whole picture as far as that era is concerned. There's no big gaps in my memory. It's a, it's a really strange one, isn't it? Because I think well, we've talked about this in previous episodes as well. The fact that actually pre-2007 was such a different era. And actually now, I think coming into the fandom, it's really hard to appreciate what it was like prior to the film coming out and the difference that it made, the huge impact that it made, you know, the fact that at the time, obviously Transformers was well known, but it was something that was thought about as being in the past, even though it was still current, you know, so even though there was Unicron Trilogy and whatever at the time, it it still wasn't really present in people's minds. Whereas now, you know, not a day goes by, I don't see, you know, some reference to Transformers in kind of popular culture or whatever, you know, and it's, it's, it's much more prevalent in sort of everyday uh, dialogue than it was at the time. It was like a real niche thing. So it's just, I don't know, to me, it's it's fascinating. The difference that movie made, love or hate that film, have your opinions on it by all means. It put Transformers back on the map. You can't understate how important that film, that whole time was for what it's set in motion now, the way we have Transformers and the amount of releases we get, it's completely different in every way. And it and it did. And it's the reason why, one of the reasons why Transformers is like the only one of those 80s kids toy brands other than Ninja Turtles that's lasted and it's still in the public consciousness like He-Man and things like that. They all drifted away for years, didn't mm. they? They never made that comeback. Whereas Transformers did. And it's pretty much the only one that did. Like no one talks about masks or Thundercats other than people like us, <laughs> don't they? But in the wider consciousness, people go, oh, I remember that when I was 100%. little. I wasn't alive. What on earth are you talking about? Oh, 100%. Man. And I think, you know, and I know we've said this before, but I, I think that Transformers would have come back. I think if it had gone away and the movie hadn't happened and it had a dulled off like He-Man or whatever, I think it would have come back at some point, maybe for a film property, maybe for, a, you know, a Netflix show or whatever. I don't know, a bit like He-Man is now. But, but yeah. it wouldn't have been the global phenomenon that it is for sure. Um, and I think... I know I know people have opinions of it and a lot of people didn't like the film and you know we'll get into all of that but it's 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 had a huge impact mm. on the the overall franchise and definitely as, as Transformers fans I think you have to respect that mm. 
It's uh, funny what you said a little bit earlier. You were talking about pre-movie and what the scene was like. And um, because the movies and Bayformers and products to do with Bayformers, like studio series, are still such a prevalent part of the modern toy line that are being released right now. Loads of fans of it around. We're still talking about live-action movies because now, obviously, Rise of the Beasts is, is around and being talked about. So I still feel very much in that bubble of the era of the live-action movie for Transformers. Mm. But one year before the 2007 movie, classics were introduced. And yeah. that blows my mind because that's a connection to a completely different era of collecting for me and just of being involved in this hobby as someone who was not yet married, someone who was who didn't have kids, someone who lived somewhere else in a different country and was working a totally different job and was a different person. Uh, and that's connected simply one year before this movie came out. So yeah, in 2007, when the movie came out, let's talk a little bit about what the Transformers scene was like. like apart from classics, what were people buying? What, what was Transformers at that time? The Unicron Trilogy, wasn't it? We're well, still yeah. in the midst mm -hmm. of there. Which one was it? Was it Energon or Cybertron at that point? Uh, well, we would have been, well, 2007, we would have been to the end of it, wouldn't we? So it would have been, yeah, I think Cybertron would have been out at that stage. I need to double check exact dates or whatever, but Armada was, what, 2003? So, yeah, I mean, it must have been, it must yeah. have been towards the end of it by that point. Yeah. Um, 07 was the end of Alternators and Vinyl Tech as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was all done and dusted. But uh, it, it was almost like it came at a good time, the 2007 film in a way, because it felt like actually the, the one the one casualty of all of it, in my mind, is animated. That's the, the one that was because um, that was in sort of full swing or whatever. And obviously that kind of got gazumped, essentially. Um, that, Not animated. Know, animated started in 2008. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, but it would have been in production right, at this time, wouldn't it? Yes. it would have been no, you're absolutely right. Pressing you're ahead. absolutely right. Sure. I'm getting my dates mixed up. But no, but it's still but the you could see that animated got curtailed by things like Prime and what have you that came as a result of the the film. So maybe it's just more the influence than anything. So further down the line, yeah, because yeah. I remember animated was introduced uh, at Botcon two thousand and seven, literally just right. the day that we'd just seen the first trailer, the first proper trailer. Same time. Oh sorry. Yeah, now I'm getting my dates confused. Yeah, no, we'd actually watched the movie at that BotCon and then they'd shown animated. So it was almost like, here's, here's the children's thing that's going to happen now as a, you know, we've got the grown-up movie, you know, this is going to go on to big screen. That's just come out in uh, summer 2007. And then animated was premiered. The, the trailer for animated was premiered at BotCon 2007. I remember that clearly. And they had like uh, painted hand-painted hand prototypes of the first wave of animated toys that they were showing off at BotCon 2007. But certainly like classics were around. And I think G1 reissues were sort of on the wane a little bit, weren't they? Because it's pre-Encore at that time. And I reckon collector's edition is basically tailing off at that point as well. And we're not mm. getting a lot of G1 reissues. I think commemorative was virtually done. Like they, we weren't getting those regular releases that we were before, and certainly not from Japan, I don't think. In that case, I don't really know what the next thing would have been if it wasn't for 2007. I don't know what would have come next. I, I'm not I'm not really clued up. I, I've got to be honest, for me at that time, it's um, you know, post-Binal Tech, kind of a bit of a... Um, a, a no man's land almost you know what i mean in terms of collecting like i was into vinyl tech and then and then nothing else really at that at that point in time anyway i was have gone back and kind of appreciated some of it since so yeah who's to say so before we get into the hype surrounding the movie and the build up to its release 
Um, this is kind of a typical question for us on this podcast every time we go back and look at a, ver- a various toy line. But um, what were you doing in 2007? Oh, I'd not long left working for Rare, so I'd been on like a six-month drinking bender with no work and just spending money, and it went up the proverbial wall, basically. So by the time 2007 had come around, I was still digging myself back out of that hole <laughs> that I'd left myself in. And so I, I, was, I was still buying like classics and stuff, but not very much. But it's... 2007 was not long after I'd just met my girlfriend, who I'm still with now. And um, yeah, just doing that, drinking, going to gigs. <laughs> and you succeed? Yeah, well, kind of, um, I was going to say a similar story, but sort of and in some parts of it anyway. I'd actually just moved to London in 2006 um, from where I was before. And I'd had, uh, I'd moved to London because I had quite a sizable. A promotion with the job that I was at, but I needed to move for work um, for that. And so I'd spent the, the sort of first bit of 2006 uh, living in a very small studio apartment and everything, and then met my girlfriend uh, at the time, who's now my wife, and, uh, and yeah, met her in 2007. And we ended up moving in together uh, quite quickly. And so that was kind of, that was really kind of the big thing i guess in 2007 that was where i was at um you know working a lot and uh you know obviously kind of new relationship and all of that so it's it's strange to think actually that that was all those years later i remember going with my then girlfriend now wife to watch transformers with some friends at the cinema uh with some old friends of ours uh and yeah so it's it's a strange thing to kind of think of that it was that it feels so recent but actually in terms of life it was you know pre pre kids and all of that and it's you know a long time ago so yeah it does feel kind of strange uh and there was some drinking involved as well along the way i'm sure but uh yeah of course but uh, enjoying the london scene uh but yeah all of that feels so so long ago really it's funny that both of you met your partners in 2007 it is exactly the same for me i met my then girlfriend now wife in 2007 and it was exactly around the time of the release of the movie so I had gone to BotCon 2007 in Rhode Island. And uh, on our way back, uh, myself and Paul Hitchens from the Space Bridge, we uh, stopped off in New York because it was basically just going to be like a little addition to our uh, to our trip to the US. And um, I'd, I met my wife, uh, my now wife, in New York. She was a flight attendant for Iceland Air and was in New York with her friend. So... We went to um, a comedy club. We, I think it was Comedy Cellar. I think Chris Rock was on that night as well. He'd just shown up. But there were other people on the bill as well. So we'd met in the queue. and um, Or at least that's the way I'm supposed to tell the story. <laughs> we met in the queue. And uh, we sat together at the table as well, uh, in a group of four, my friend and her and her friend. And uh, it's funny because I'd seen the movie at that point. And a number of the comedians that night had made reference to the Transformers movie. And in Times Square, there was a massive Transformers poster. And so it was obviously like starting to make its way into the consciousness. Mm. So that whole period of time of that movie's release and that summer is very closely tied to me meeting my wife as well. It's um, They're almost inextricable because I, I remember that time very clearly and meeting her was as part of my trip to BotCon to see that movie and and all of that kind of stuff um so yeah 2007 big year for us eh <laughs> yeah evidently so I, I, f- I feel like I feel I need to issue a correction here I actually met my girlfriend in 2006 
And I'm saying this because if she hears this, then she knows. I actually remember. It was <laughs> 2006 straight after download. And what's scary is you guys are both married to your partners and have children. And we're still not married and we have a dog. I love you, Emily. Thank you for being a patron. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it helps, my wife is not a patron of the podcast. So I don't know. You must be doing something right. <laughs> I hope so. I doubt it. <laughs> That's a funny one, actually, because uh, my wife was really interested in tonight's topic. And I wonder if that is because of the connection to us. That Because um, obviously she went to see the movie uh, as well with her friends. We didn't see it together. But um, she was quite interested in what we would talk about tonight because it's so closely linked to that uh, period of time. I don't think she was uh, quite as interested in the packaging episode um, <laughs> details. <laughs> yeah, yes, no, my, not even part two. <laughs> my wife was similarly uh, a bit perplexed by that as a as a topic of conversation. But it's <laughs> it is it is interesting because actually, yeah, at the time she was quite uh, I wouldn't say into the the movie as such, but she did really enjoy it. And um, you know, just as kind of a more casual uh, kind of aspect. But uh, she even actually had a couple of the toys, like she had a bumblebee toy from the time that she really liked and that was you know that was always like oh this is my one and what have you so she was really into that and and ever since that film she's always kind of had a bit of an affinity with that character so when he pops up like we were watching um rid 2015 not so long ago uh with our son and mm. uh you know she she was really kind of into that character even then you know sort of carried on all those years it's quite funny so i think there is the i think that film i think it did reach a lot of people that wouldn't have been fans really of Transformers did, yeah. otherwise. It's you know, it did it did cross that yeah. threshold. My girlfriend's exactly the same. She loved because we went to watch it together and she absolutely loved it and went out and bought the voice changing helmet and everything. She liked it that much. <laughs> wow. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Have you still got it? I, I do. I ha- I actually have it here. <laughs> oh my god. So now list, you... the list the listeners can't hear this but oh my doesn't god. It, well, that's how you're doing the rest of the episode, I think. He's wearing oh. it. I think I just inhaled a spider. <laughs> oh, God. So, you know what's funny? I tried the voice changing thing earlier and it still well, works. It still Why don't you have it on now? Yeah. Are we not going to get a sample for the for the show? Did, did you not hear the bit about me inhaling a spider? Okay, well, it's inside right. you now. It's done. So Exactly. Move on. You you can't <laughs> you can't tease something like this and not have it yeah. on the recording. That's just Okay. Okay. Come on. Let, let's get let's that thing on. Show not tell. My God, it looks messy. <laughs> Hello? Is it, is, this is quality work? podcasting right here. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear that? Roger Dodger. Freedom is the right of all spiders. Up my nose. Oh, I don't who who knew working. Optimus Prime was from Nottingham and sounded just like Liam? <laughs> hey. I don't think, I don't think it works anymore, buddy. <laughs> I think it's, it's seen better days. It just went... Yeah. Could, could you hear it just going... That's, that's all, yeah. Prime's dead, obviously. Okay, so um, before we get into the movie, uh, do you guys remember the build-up to the movie? So, you know, all the trailers and the TV spots and the very first teaser of the Mars rover and oh, uh, yeah. you know, the footage of the shadow and everything. So, the beagle. Ryan, can you remember clearly where you were when you saw that and were you connected to the community at the time? Do you remember how people were reacting to it? Uh, yes and no, I guess. I wasn't, um, I, I, you know, I had a, an online presence. I had been online. I wasn't online so much at that time, I don't think, uh, just kind of casually here and there. Like, you know, I had been on 
TFW 2005 for years at that point, uh, maybe five years or so, but but it wasn't really that present or anything. Um, but yeah, no, I know I remember the, the teaser hugely so and watching it and so excited. I mean, it was real like freeze frame stuff, you know, kind of going through it, like that shot of Megatron in that teaser. Um, you know, there was a lot of promise in that that, uh, it's it's interesting now looking back at it retrospectively because it was very very different that initial teaser to what we actually got to the actual film. Uh, you know, even the style of the, the I think it is meant to be Megatron. You know, quite clearly the kind of silhouette, whatever. Um, maybe that. How so? It was Starscream. I, I, I was just Bumblebee. Oh right, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm saying Megatron, but maybe not. Then you know, I, I always assumed it was Megatron, but um, maybe I don't. Maybe there isn't a definitive answer. Maybe it's just some generic. You know, whoever. But Bisk. Yeah, it could, it could <laughs> be, right, absolutely. Yeah. One of the Rainmakers or Black something. I don't know, yeah. It's a mini spy. <laughs> no way, that's the Mars rover. <laughs> you know someone screaming at the thing now, they're like shouting, it's this Mars rover Someone toy will know. There'll Energon be, there'll be an actual like that answer. Right now. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be an actual answer and we, and we don't know, which is criminal. But, uh, but no, there's a lot of promise in that. Even the music at the end, the style of the eye, which was on the poster as well. Do you remember the first mm-hmm. teaser poster? Um, which was all like the tagline, like our war, what was it? Our world, their war or their war, our world. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, all of that was really different from then what actually came. And I think the, the first proper trailer um, mm-hmm. was still really eerie, but that was that was more representative of the actual film. Do you remember you had to download it in like QuickTime as well? Do you remember when you, that's how you got yeah, trailers? On Apple, you would Apple download trailers. a QuickTime file. Yeah, and that, that's what I remember, like having to wait for it to download because those were the times, oh, God, as was the right. style of the time. And I just remember like just being in awe. Yeah, you're right. I remember, I mean, I, I loved watching film. I always love watching film trailers, even now. Um, but yeah, you're right. I remember downloading it and, on QuickTime and all of that. And uh, yeah, absolutely incredible. Because YouTube was about, but it wasn't like stuff where every single trailer went straight away no. was it it wasn't like that, at that no time it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite the seven. machine that it is now I, I remember seeing the poster um the year before yeah. in 2006 in in kentucky i'd gone to botcon 2006 and we'd gone to louisville i think and just gone to see what was it jackass second jackass movie at that point oh my God. and uh they had a poster saying that you know with that eye the, yeah. the movie was coming the year after so um i remember that but then we had, like, like, like you say, the something with some actual film footage in it. The next trailer that came, right? Yeah, it was so different, so different, yeah. and quite. Um, I watched it again today, actually, and I do love that trailer. Uh, it's very creepy. It's like a really creepy trailer. It's weird. It's got a very. It, it's more representative of the film, but the tone is exceptionally different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like none of the comedic value of the actual final product. It's, it's like got, all uh, the films, though, isn't it? All yeah, of them yeah, had yeah. this really yeah. different vibe to the trailers. That absolutely, it's yeah. got it's got a. They set in motion that style that we get now, don't they? Where you have got like the yes, one hundred percent. Every trailer, whereas before it'd be like snippets of the film with. Yeah. At work, a... we've uh, we've produced cinematic trailers for the game we work on, and I and when I, after I joined the company, they told me that the Dark of the Moon trailer was a big inspiration for one of our biggest uh, game trailers, like especially the the movie style and the like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that that trailer. I remember very well. I remember that trailer very well. That you know that that noise that is um and that was copied hugely by tons of film trailers. It's weird how influential film trailers are on other trailers and things like that. Mm. And actually Transformers as a franchise, the films have become 
quite well known at, at copying other things, you know, Star Wars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, particularly in The Last Night, you can see the, it wears its influences so clearly in what it's trying to do. Um, but actually, back in 2007, it, it did sort of change a lot of things itself, which was quite weird. Although it, I say that, you know, it was copying other stuff even then, you know, things like the score and stuff like that was, mm-hmm. you can see the influence from other stuff that was happening. Um, but it still did feel it did feel different. I think that first trailer is just so weird and creepy. And, uh, you know, the fact that there's no real music to it, you know, just kind of this noise that kind of keeps repeating through it, this kind of chilling, uh, almost... Yeah, with the noise. Scorponok tail that yeah. comes behind um, Lennox. Yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. that, yeah. The, the, the one thing I will say about the 2007 film, and we'll get into it, is that the, the sound of it is phenomenal. I think it's a very... Um, you know, it's it's heavy, like it's exhausting, but it's the production value in the sound is really good, and I think you see that in that first trailer. Uh, you know, and they put a lot of emphasis on the, you know, they even do the whole thing of the only clue we have is this sound and all of that, and mm-hmm. uh, it really kind of sets this like super alien esque weird vibe that you're going to get with this film. How did that tally with the rest of Transformers as you recognised it? Um... You could obviously see, like the trailer wasn't completely representative of the movie we'd get, but the tone of it um, did that excite you, or did it not tally up with what you wanted from a Transformers movie at that very early stage? I mean, it was different. Don't get me wrong; like it wasn't, it didn't feel necessarily like Transformers that I knew, but it didn't. I liked it. Uh, yeah, I was that was not a bad thing. Sure. No, it, I didn't mind it being different at all. Like. Actually, the bit that we're probably missing, and I'm sure we will talk about today as well, is that we'd already seen concept artwork at that point, you know, so mm-hmm. that online we'd already had designs for Optimus, Megatron, you know, several of the characters uh, leaked. Um, We'd seen the photos, yeah. hadn't we? Like of the the vehicles on like a tarmac yeah. had, being hauled had. to a location. Yeah, so yeah. we had, but there was one had a fair amount of released info. shot of. Yeah, there it? was. There was. We had a fair amount of info already, but the leaked concept artwork looked bad let's be honest like the you know you can look at it now for for what it was at the time or whatever but the still images that had been leaked didn't do those designs much uh much favor really you know they they, they, i can see why they were controversial particularly megatron which went down like a sack of you know something not very i can't really swear on the podcast but you know it wasn't (laughs) wasn't particularly uh yeah sack of potatoes uh, you know, it, it went down like a wet like thud. A pretend you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a pretend I like that one, but uh, it, it didn't. It didn't go down well, and and perhaps understandably because it was so different from everything that people kind of expected it to be. But then, actually, I think when the first trailer, just coming back to that, I think when that came out, certainly for me, I had not been convinced by all of the concept artwork. I've got to be honest. When I first saw some of it, I was like, "What on earth is this?" But then seeing those designs moving. Suddenly, I was like, bought in. I was like, okay, actually, this works. Yep, absolutely. I can, I can get behind Same. So that first, yeah, that agree. first trailer. Seeing him in motion was really important. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, because like, uh, you get you get that you still get that now, don't you? Where people see leaked images of stuff beforehand, and then straight away they're like really anti it. Like, this isn't mm. mine. This isn't this. But then once they see the show or the film, they're like, oh, that was actually really good. And it's like you have to see stuff in context. I one hundred percent. It's agree. the same with those because they. Oh, some of that leaked concept art. And they didn't do themselves any favours because there was a leaked image of one of the pre-designs for Optimus yeah. Prime where he looked a bit more G1. And so it felt when you saw the one set for the movie, it was like, what have they done? Why have they then gone from this? And it was like you saw that 
drawing you're like that looks better to my eyes but then when you see it and think you're like oh it works do you remember better. how much fake material there was around at the time as well i was gonna ask this do yeah. you remember that fake like lucasfilm yeah. uh animatic of that car it wasn't a datsun but it had that very g1 style and it was leaked and everybody thought it was real yeah. uh yeah there was a swipe one as well i remember like a... there was yeah. there was an optimus prime uh animatic as as well like a more traditional g1 uh style animatic and i can't remember if that was real and actually something that they'd done or Knox. i know they did consider the um you know the flat nose truck as at one uh, point but it was a it was um oh no it was somebody i can remember the per- i can't remember who it was but i remember them talking about it and i think they'd done it for like university yeah. or for something it wasn't actually for the film but people kept going oh this is it and then it didn't like I, I think advert as well, which I think came out after the movie. Do you remember the Citroen C4 advert with the, yeah. the car yeah. is dancing? That was definitely after the movie, but so very much influenced, obviously, by, by the vibe at the time. But yes, you were talking about freeze framing um, those early trailers. And I do very much remember going through them frame by frame and looking at the TFW galleries of the frame by frame of each trailer to spot. I think Jazz was the one that really caught my eye early on and the one I wanted to see more of, like what, what did he look like? I remember the poster of Jazz that came out or, or poster size like wallpaper that they were putting out that he was like um, kneeling and like one leg outstretched and just sort of in the corner of the shot. Uh, remember that promotional image really clearly and I had it on my, um, on my computer background for quite some time. So even, and I think there were people at the time who even if they weren't massively into the designs, they were excited at the concept of having Transformers on the big screen. And I remember um, there was a, as a UK seller, there was someone at the time who said to me, um, he remembers the very first scene in the movie with Blackout transforming. He was like crying tears in the cinema. Mm. It was so emotional for him to see Transformers on the big screen. And I'm pretty sure this person never picked up a single movie toy at all. That wasn't the point. It was just seeing Transformers on the big screen. And that was really emotive and a big thing at the time. I felt we were collectively quite open-minded towards it because it was still so novel to have Transformers on the big screen. Yeah, I agree with that. And that definitely tallies with my experience and just the over- the overwhelming feeling of excitement. That was what it was from that first trailer landing. Um, not the, the teaser as well, Like, don't get me wrong, mm. but even with the teaser, it was like, what is this? You know, because it was so, you know, it was kind of bizarre. For me, it was very much that first trailer that was like, uh, definitely right up to seeing it in the cinema where I had a blast. I've got to tell you, like I, mm-hmm. I really, you know, just to kind of get that out there, I loved it, um, seeing it in the cinema. And and all of my friends did as well that we saw it with. And I, I think you're right. That, and, and actually, the more uh, people I speak to about it, just like tonight, that seems to be a, a very common experience. And so I find it weird sometimes where the the feeling now is that actually there was this huge uh, anti you know backlash and that all Transformers fans were anti the whole thing. That is not for me. That is not reality. Like there definitely no. was a very vocal oh, part of oh. of you know a lot of vocal fans that hated it and hmm. you know hated the concept artwork. The concept artwork was a very definite time before the trailer where it was a problem. Like people had issues with the designs, things like that. But then from the trailer onwards, I think they really turned a lot of that around and, and a lot of people got bought in quite quickly. I think, I think you have to remember as well, like back then, Twitter, like Facebook was brand new and not everybody had Facebook. Like, whereas now when a film comes out, it's dissected by a thousand people you see 
everything, every so possible opinion from every corner is thrown at you. But back then, it wasn't like that. Point. I remember, yeah. I think Facebook was like the year before. Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I, I was on Twitter then. I, don't think I joined existed. Facebook in 2007. But, Absolutely right. I was on MySpace before yeah, Facebook. So, yeah, I think I just joined it in 2007 as well, But it and MySpace. But they, you didn't post on them in the same way you do right. Twitter. You weren't look, you weren't looking at your mobile phones every five seconds, waiting for the latest trailer. You were, you were literally taking the time out to go and find those things and looking at them and that way. And it, you might be on forums and stuff. I wasn't there. Yeah, but you, it's not absorbed in the same way. And I think you get that definitely. now. People look back at the film as if through that lens of how they would have reacted if it was now, when it would have been mm-hmm. outrage of people going, "This is not like any of the whatever they grew up with." But back then, it wasn't. There was a bit of that. I'd seen some elements of it, but not. There wasn't. There wasn't this, because social media was. Yeah, a thing. I agree with you. There wasn't the same expectation in a funny way as well. Like there was a certain amount of expectation. Of course, you know this was Transformers. You've got people that have been fans since 1984. Uh, it was uncharted territory. Yeah, but that's it? exactly right. And I think there wasn't the expectation that it was going to necessarily look a certain way or feel a certain way or what have you there was an element of blank canvas to it and yes there were people that were disappointed that you know it wasn't the right track for optimus prime or that the characters didn't look exactly like they did or that megatron was megatron they had that face and everything of course there was all of that there was that disappointment built into it like a recycling yeah yeah, like a like a a drawer of scissors Uh, walking cutlery drawer exactly (laughs) but the there it was mixed in with a huge amount of just I think just general elation that this was happening as well. Do you know what I mean? And that, that as you said, Maz, that Transformers were going to be on the big screen. And I think there was actually a lot of willingness to look past nitpicks and things just because yeah, of it. If you think about the animated series we'd had to that point, and then how does the transformation of real life vehicles translate to the big screen? And especially like licensed vehicles were a massive part of this movie, weren't they? The whole General Motors thing and also the first movie to feature the F-22 Raptors from the US Army was a massive thing. So, I mean, I remember Starscream's role in those trailers. He almost got like all the best trailer clips. Like the yeah. bit where he's he comes and lands in the middle of the city and the the plane is just at this really weird angle and almost throws himself into the middle of the street, or when he just uh, he's hovering over Sam's head and he does that roll and then transforms and flies off. He had yeah. the killer scenes in the trailer, no question. Um, I think he did the trailers more than the film. Or to a point, yeah. I mean, you almost saw all of his best parts in the trailer. It's true. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, that was a big thing to see how they translated to a big screen. And I remember every single TV spot that came out, um, I would dissect. And uh, I remember the lead up to the release of the movie, the TV spots were getting more and more frequent. Uh, One I particularly remember that I actually didn't find in the YouTube playlist that you sent uh, with all the trailers and the TV spots was one where uh, Blackout was in robot mode and just ran and transformed into his copter and tried to grab Sam, but he missed and then he flew off. Uh, that was one I was really looking forward to seeing again. And oh, I don't remember because that it was one. bringing back, it brought back so many memories. I remember the MTV exclusive footage and, and all that stuff. I was di- digesting all of this in the lead up to the movie. Are you username Ladiesman217? I don't know what you're talking Are about. Are you username Ladiesman217? When we first suggested this episode topic, I remember I was far from enthusiastic. I was like, oh my God, do you guys really want me to watch that movie again? And, uh, and I think it's because of everything the movies became and my feelings towards it since. But as soon as I started watching those trailers uh, this week, and then I watched the movie a couple of nights ago, I was just right back there with that enthusiasm and that love and 
all of the memories which just came flooding 100%. back of how big I was into this yeah. at the time and so excited for this movie. It's like it's the only thing that mattered. Yeah, I think, and I know at the risk of sounding like a broken record and being all like, oh, you know, back in the day and all of that, it's probably hard to appreciate now the level of excitement that was there at the time because it's become, you know, again, you know, Twitter, all of that, the discourse around it, it's become the sort of de facto thing, hasn't it, to to be a bit ugh about the idea of a new Transformers movie. I mean, mm-hmm. look at what's going on with Rise of the Beast now. People are so cynical about it. And yeah, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of excitement. Of course there is. But a lot of people's, you know, automatic reaction is, oh, well, they're, they're going to cock this up then. You know, and and a lot of the details that are coming out, you know, are picked apart and whatever. Cynicism is very much a part of these films right. now, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And, and I get it because, you know, we've had what 14 of these films now i've lost I've lost count you know i know there's not that many but you It'll know it's the eighth one i think no 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 well, with, the seventh one seven yeah this is seven right, yeah. with bumblebee and um mm. uh, i understand this isn't cynicism to a degree because you know the last night was not good and i mean there have been really a case of diminishing returns for some time in terms of the the kind of quality of them or whatever i don't think i'm being too controversial in saying that you know and of course there are people that like them, every film, you know, and, and whatever. But um, I think even general audiences have, have been somewhat turned off by them. You know, I mean, I, I, there's no way, I mean, just coming back to, you know, our wives and girlfriends, there's no way that my wife feels the same about any of the other films as she does about 2007. You know, this, that, that was the one that she enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't even bother suggesting let's go and see the last one, you know, the last night. She did love Bumblebee, though. She really enjoyed that. Um, but I think that's funny. Like my wife came with me to Revenge of the Fallen, and uh, it was that thing you guys talked about, which was um, halfway through the movie, you kind of realised I'm actually not enjoying this. Mm. But then she came with me to Dark of the Moon as well, and I don't know what it was, but we both really, really enjoyed seeing Dark of the Moon together, and we saw it in 3D as well, and we had a great time that that day. But yeah, I wouldn't expect her to want to come to any subsequent versions of the movies. See, Dark, Dark of the Moon, I, I had the same thing halfway through. It was actually during the big battle. It was in like the, the final act or whatever. Uh, I remember she was yawning and, and I remember us speaking and, <laughs> and, me being, and me being like, this is actually not so good, is it? And she was just kind of like, hmm. you know, and it was she just checked out by that point. It was just too much. See, me and Emily have watched them all together and we loved the first one and we both... I've really disliked every one of the sequels. And each time we watched it, we're like, God, this is so bad. Until we got to Bumblebee. And when we came out of the cinema, we were both like, wow, that was mm-hmm. amazing. But the exact same reaction. Like, it felt a lot like seeing the first one again mm-hmm. in so many ways. There was that sort of... Because I think what the first one has, like, or what Sixo was almost touching on there, is there's like a sense of it's wonder. Magic. With the first yeah, yeah. Genuine like, movie magic. Because it's before you knew what the movies yeah. looked like. And there was not yeah. five films of and 14,000 toys or whatever. It was all uncharted territory. You didn't know what was coming next. You didn't know what it was going to look like, how things were going to sound. You didn't even know how Peter Cullen was really going to sound because you'd literally just hear his voice in a trailer, but you're like, what is he going to sound yeah, like on true. a film? And there's sort of stuff like that. And you don't get the like 100,000 clips of people comparing him to the cartoon. You didn't get that then. It was like, oh, wow, he's mm. back. And they're like, that was a huge yeah. thing, Peter Cullen coming back. And it's, it, it was massive. It wasn't a given at all. I remember there was disappointment that Frank Welker wasn't in the you know the final mm-hmm. thing um, and that they got Hugo Weaving because they'd even talked about getting Welker in to do it and mm-hmm. they, I think there was actually test footage of him doing some of the lines right. and things. just didn't work um, out I guess. They didn't like the voice. I think they decided he didn't sound mm. menacing enough which I think 
is a shame, you know. And I, I thought Hugo Weaving sounded great, actually. In the he film. was great. But he actually was, yeah. I think I can understand why people were maybe a little bit perturbed by some of those decisions as well, but it is what it is. Um, but the, the other thing I was going to say, actually, before I forget it, is that I think that you're absolutely right, Liam. I think it had all of that kind of, um, you know, not pre-standing knowledge about it, going for it, you know, that was in its in its core, in its favour. But the other thing I would say about the 2007 film is that although it has elements of stuff that would become... Um, less desirable in later films you know there are elements of it if you're being critical about it that are there that you can see the threads of what would come later on that people don't like about these films of course but it has a lot less of it you know like it has um (laughs) we'll, we'll get into some of the specifics i'm sure as we go through but you know like the action scenes feel less chaotic than they do in le- later films you know the the storyline such as it is is more coherent i think than later yeah. films it's funny you should say that because i remember yeah. coming out of that first movie and thinking i almost couldn't track what was happening in some of the oh, robotic sure. battles yeah, yeah but as for you sure. say that, that evolved further on down the line that's the thing there are criticisms that you can level at that first film and say well it's this and it's that and the other but that all of those things are magnified the further down the franchise that you go, I think, you know, to the point where, for me, the, the last night, I remember us talking about it at the time, saying, what was that film about? And I'm like, I even coming out of the cinema in the pub afterwards, I was like, I, yeah. I just don't know. I, think, no, I don't know I, what I was asking you about work during the movie, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. Yeah. Didn't I just turn <laughs> you to you were. halfway through the film and say, so, so how's work, man? Yeah, yeah, you, you did. You were trying to, yeah, 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 yeah. We're striking up a conversation, yeah, because yeah. it was just, you know. <laughs> I think we've... That guy... I think we spoke about this before, though, but I always say, like, it feels like the makers of the first movie took the wrong lessons from the first movie. Like, people laughing at the dog, we in on Ironhide. It's funny in that mm. film. And it feels like in the second film, they, like, decided they had to ratchet that up to, like, a thousand. And so it focuses on so many of those little things that are funny in isolation in the first movie. And then it's like it injects them with steroids for the following one. And it's like, oh, the parents, oh. like stuff like that. But don't it's you like, find that watching the movie the now? Don't you intrusive. find like on a rewatch of the 2007 movie, doesn't every comedic scene or every character seem like a character caricature of themselves now? And they just like everything was wound up to 10. Like all the scenes which like Sam being in the police station and being asked if he was on drugs or... Chad Nelson. Just all that stuff just... That's Judd Nelson, though, isn't it? Is it? Is it Judd Nelson? I complete. That's Judd Nelson. I completely forgotten that. I think you're right, but I'd completely forgotten. When he asked him if he's on drugs for the gun, he's like, "Take the gun." But I can't like believe that. I've like, come this film. far and not known that. This is where someone's going. No, it in. I'm sure that's Judd Nelson. I'm pretty certain that's why he's. I we'll thought he was I'll in have that. Have to film. confirm. Yeah. yeah, I'm a piece fifty cent. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you're right a, a lot of the humor was dialed up to eleven, oh. and and it, some of it now, when you see it now. Yeah, it is a bit questionable. Do you know what I mean? There are elements of it that are like, ooh, you know, I mean, there's a definite bit where it's like, well, what? hang on, why are we talking about masturbation in a Transformers film, you know, and stuff like that? The, the thing, I remember laughing. Happy time. Yeah, I, I, but I remember I laugh. laughing in the cinema. Yeah, I did things. laugh. But that's because it's it's not relentless. Like in Revenge of the Fallen, it feels like the parents get like two hours of the film because the film feels like it's 14 mm. hours long. But it, they have like, they must have 15 different plots going on. And, and you're like, why are they still here? Whereas... In this film, they don't feel as intrusive because they feel like they're only there for certain bits. And watching it yeah. back again, I, I didn't feel like I do when I see them in the later films. Again, I still found it mm-hmm. quite funny. And it's there's like, still 
this humor doesn't appeal to me as much now, but it's not as offensive. I, no, I agree with you on that. There's st- that I, I guess that was my point: is that there's still stuff that doesn't work in 2007, but it's it's less noticeable than it would become. So, like for example, I mean, if you think about, I was looking, I was thinking about this film earlier and, and kind of making some notes and stuff. And if you look at it, there are like several stories worth of stuff, even in 2007. I mean, I've often said, you know, um, about. Uh, the last night, especially that it's like just so overstuffed of things, you know, too many things in yeah. one film and like boil it down. What would have made a good storyline? There is tons of, you know, for as bad as the final product is, there's tons of good stuff in the last night, you know, tons of great ideas, just too many of them all stuffed in. Whereas in 2007, there there is too much, but it's not as noticeable and as egregious as it is in later films. So for example, you've got all yeah. of the stuff with Sam, of course, and Michaela mm-hmm. and the glasses and all of that. You've got all of the stuff with the like frenzy and the hacking, and mm-hmm. you've got the, the um, Trish Walker from Jessica yeah, Jones. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, didn't clock that yeah, till I was watching. It and I was like, oh my yeah, god! Yeah, yeah. I bet she was in Neighbours. There's no way that with that accent. I think she wasn't she's in quite Neighbours. famous in Australia. I think, yeah. But Is this, um, uh, but, Rachel Taylor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, is that a yeah, name? That was the, name. The, the analyst, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, everyone from Australia has been in Neighbours or Home and Away, haven't they? <laughs> but there's her, there's her whole storyline that leads to you know the police station mm-hmm. uh, and and the donut scene and all of that. There's that whole storyline. Then you've got the whole thing with the army running away from Scorponok and that scene in the desert and all of that. And the, the all of this really doesn't hang together. Like, and you know, I'm saying it loosely, oh. but it's not. It's not necessarily one coherent storyline. Day and night doesn't hang together in a lot of those scenes. Right. Wait, isn't it sunny outside? Why is it like sundown now? No, the sun's back. The blackout. Yeah, well, that was even in the first scene, wasn't it? In blackout. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But come on, I think we're we're really getting ahead of ourselves because we've got to talk about the first opening scene of that movie and, you know, the whole blackout base attack. When you saw that in its full glory in the cinema, was that not just like, this is my dream realized, Transformers on the big screen, and just look at the destruction that this Transformer is wreaking across this base? Wasn't that astonishing? And the music was, the score was brilliant for that first yeah. opening segment. I absolutely loved it. Still gives me tingles. When I watched it the other day, it was still spine tingling. My girlfriend always tells the story of, because we went to see it, a week before it came out, it was on an advanced preview at our local mm-hmm. cinema. And so me and my housemate and my girlfriend at the time, I have this record with Transformers movies where I end up seeing them weeks before they come out. But um, but we were like the only people in the cinema because nobody else must have realized it was on. So we were sat alone. There was just us three in the middle of the cinema uh, a week before the film came out. And she sat in the middle of us. And she said like, and my housemate was a bouncer. So he's a big bloke as well. And um, she said she just turned around and looked at her faces as this as that's unfolding that scene. And she's like, and we both just there with our mouths like <laughs> wide open, like, oh my it god! Was that. It was. And that, that was the, the second I heard that transformation noise, the first one when it goes instantly, it's like whoa! Yeah. And then it just looked yeah, and that soundscape just for that scene, like yeah. his uh, sonic charges or whatever it is that he was firing. Mm. Just mm. everything about the sounds in that scene were were superb. And yeah, you were speaking of seeing it early. I, I was lucky. It felt yeah, epic. It did. And obviously we'd had like little teasers of that scene in the trailers as well. So we kind of knew what was coming, but it was still so grand when you saw it. And that's how you start a movie, man. That was, uh, mm. it was great. Yeah. But obviously then it, it started actually with all of the military chatter and, and the caricatures who were in, you know, in the military transport before they got to the base. But I was going to say, um, I was lucky enough to see the movie with Transformers fans the first time. 
because I first saw it in the UK at the UK premiere in Leicester Square. I think it was at the Empire as well, which is Empire Leicester Square was a great place to see movies. And uh, Michael Bay was there, and like um, Megan Fox was there, Shia LaBeouf was there, Josh Duhamel was there, and they handed out all of the attendees. They got a printed script of the of the movie, and I still have that kicking around somewhere. That's cool. So they did they did like a little talk before the start of the movie at the front of the where the screen was so that that was incredible i got to thank the mapes twins for getting us tickets to that that was amazing and then i got to see in the u.s at the u.s premiere uh at botcon 2007 and tyrese gibson and rachel taylor were there i remember just being a little bit starstruck and not going up and saying anything to them they were right there in front of me would have loved to have gotten a picture but yeah you mean you didn't go elbow and go hey oh left cheek left cheek where's your wallet Uh, but yeah, so I got to see it both times with fans and the reaction in the cinema to scene after scene. I mean, there was cheering in the cinema. You know, there was like, mm. yes, you know, when he transforms and he starts shooting. It was basically that throughout the entire movie. And it was an amazing vibe. And it started with that super powerful, great first scene. See, I saw it not at any kind of, like, I just saw it in a normal cinema with mates, you know, with, as I say, with my girlfriend at the time and friends and it was packed. I mean, it was a full mm. cinema, but uh, but it was a similar vibe. People loved it. You know, there was uh, I recall a ton of laughter. Like yes. there was laughter throughout at all of the the all of the scenes. Now that you would pick apart and go, well, this is not funny because of that or whatever. Mm-hmm. People people were laughing in the cinema. That's all I can say. And yeah. um, but I also remember similar to you, Liam. You know, saying that you, your girlfriend looking at your faces and being kind of open mouthed. I remember the scene. Is towards the end, but where Starscream is hopping on the different jets, you know, in midair and taking them oh, out. Oh, what the, a scene! The, the scene, Fantastic the scene. scene. Yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. Yes. Uh, I remember turning to my friend. I think my then girlfriend was on my left. Uh, his then girlfriend, now wife, was then uh, you know in between um, the two of us, and then it was him. I remember the two of us turned and looked at each other, and our eyes clocked, and both of us were just like <laughs> mouths agape, just like. Oh my God, what are we watching? Because yeah. it was just, we were both. And, that, and that's quite far into the movie. So at that point, yeah, yeah. it's still not worn off, has it? It's like, no. oh my, this is Transformers properly realized. This is it, it what was, I expected it to be. That's what it, a disguise is. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, coming back to that opening scene, it's funny actually how, I can't believe I'm going to use this word in reference to a Transformers movie, how restrained it is at times, particularly right. in comparison to later films. It's not. It's not a restrained film. Of course it's not. It's bombastic right. and it's big and it's, you know, all of those things. But think about it. The opening scene is one Transformer, one robot, mm. and it's impressive and it's massive and it's an incredible scene, but that's it. And you don't see that much of it. You know, a lot of the no. shots are quick close-ups or they're very far away and, you know, you just see it as kind of a glimpse, you know, as it's walking past a, a window And you miss loads in the first watch. Hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent. Even the transformation, you know, they cut it up a little bit, and and they mm-hmm. don't they didn't show you too much right in your face, which is really good. And then, uh, you know, they, they kind of really build it to the point where when the Autobots arrive, you're quite far into the film by that point. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a fair old yeah. bit that's happened, and you're ready for those Autobots. But even yes. then, I think by the time it gets to that final uh, downtown battle, you know, and the Decepticons are there and everything. I remember the Decepticons mobilizing. Uh, and even then, the start of those scenes, you know, it's Bone Crusher, just kind of like, you know, in solitary conflict with Optimus. You're not yet in the full throes of it. By the time the Decepticons are mobilizing and it all kicks off, 
you you weren't exhausted by that point. You didn't have that no. feeling of like, oh, yeah, you know, we, is this still going? Because it was exciting. But you were always left wanting more because we yeah. had that bone crusher busting through that coach in trailers, yeah. and then his scene Constantly. is over so quickly. And yeah. I, I that was definitely an aspect of the movie. I was like, oh, but they were in it, and so it was shocking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. See, Optimus Prime yeah. chopped someone up. It's it was so it's not something you've no, ever seen. Right. It was so out of left field for the character. And um, I remember, like I was saying there, the first time I went to see it, we were the only people in the cinema. So, and because it was a week before, there were no reviews. There was nothing. So we literally had no idea. And because there's no one else in there, it was empty and it was amazing because it just got to focus on the film. But I went uh, went a couple times afterwards. But we're, a load of people from work wanted to go and see it as well. So we all went mm. in a group. And I remember then when we came out, half of them were like, "I have no idea what right. happened." And the other half were like, that was amazing. But because I was watching it again, the amount of stuff I picked up on that mm-hmm. I hadn't spotted before, like there's that scene when, uh, what's his face? Oh, helicopter mush. Helicopter mush is fine. He's in the streets in the downtown and he's walking down and they're like pointing guns. But it was only the second time I noticed that his blades are spinning against the wall as he's going. Because there's so much to take yes. in, and it's and it's like wow. And each time you see something different that you hadn't spotted before, yeah. and it was just incredible. That film, that bit when Starscream dives down oh, into the street and yeah. skids and shoots, but he does he does the thing, and he does this like we were talking about earlier. Uh, we touched on it, but his the way he moves in that film is incredible. Because every scene, he's like quick little attacks, and he skids mm-hmm. about, and then he leaps off and shoots away. And he's like, because he's a coward, isn't he? And a traitor and stuff. And it really plays into that. When when you know that about mm-hmm. the character, it's almost like a, they're dangling you in for people who know Starscream. And even again, watch it tonight. I was just in awe of seeing that. And it's like, you know, people often say CGI is aged badly or stuff for films. But just watching this, I was no lost way, so no. in it as he's I, leaping I, on on the backs of those yeah. jets. And I was like, man, why didn't we get yeah, more yeah. of this? I don't think the visuals have aged badly from Agreed. that review of the robots. Yeah. It moves too quick yeah. as well for you really to focus on. I, I 100% agree. The The... The one thing I will say uh, is, that, and we've already kind of hinted at it, but the first scene of Bumblebee fighting Barricade, I remember thinking, I have oh, no clue yes. what's going on. I, I mean, it was great. Like, I loved it. But yeah. I remember distinctly yes, thinking, who is who and what is what? And it, one of them was yellow and one of them was black. And I still couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, I still couldn't distinguish between who was who at that point. But the use playing. Um, yeah, oh. it, well, it was, it was, uh, it was an insane scene. Emo, emo was big at the time, <laughs> but it's uh, but it's but again, that was something that it was a critique that you know I'm, I know people had of that film at that time, but it was somehow heightened and worsened in later films. You know, it became more of a like a caricature of those films from sort of Revenge of the Fallen onwards. Of like, oh, of course, you can't distinguish who, which any of the characters are. Whereas at the time, it mm. was it's very Jason Bourne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was a kind of Jason Bourne vibe to the fight scenes and that kind of frenetic style to it and everything for sure. But it's just interesting that it's still there was that kind of willingness to forgive a lot of that stuff at the time. Hey, Speaking of things you can't forgive, I, I I went to see this movie probably nine times in the cinema in total, and then watched it multiple times since. I mean, I don't think I've ever watched a movie more than this. Maybe only the '86 movie, but there's one scene which it didn't matter who I had gone to see the movie with; they always turned to me and gave me a funny look every time. It goes, "Hey, how did you like that? How did you like? Can you guess what line it is? Is it the lubricating?" scene no is it bubble pee no, it's when the analysts are first gathered together and the the one with the mop head walks over and goes 
I've just been spying on that group over there. Over there, they think it's Iranians, and the other guy goes, "No, this, oh, this is far yeah. too smart for Iranian scientists." And every time in that movie, someone would turn around and go, "How would you like that? How do you like that?" I didn't actually. I didn't like that. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> but um, th- that was one of the criticisms. Like the movie had these things that probably don't age well. It had like quips like that and caricatures and things. It's very pro-America, isn't it? Where but. Like, Popping at other oh, countries. There was so well. much so um, pro US military in that movie. It was almost overwhelming. Well, they, they needed it to be, wouldn't it? They, they needed it because because the movie were, were essentially funding a lot of it. You know, there was there was a, a whole thing. That was why they did it on the budget that they did it. I mean, it, it's funny to me now because a lot of people talk about Transformers 2007 like it was some sort of low budget indie blockbuster and it and it wasn't Christ. at all. Like it was a huge <laughs> budget film, big, big budget film. It's just that comparative to some other big budget films it wasn't quite at the same peak of it but it was still huge and but part of the way they kept the cost down was the getting the military involved quite simply and general motors as well of course you know huge amounts of product placement and and whatever but the military it became military porn that became a phrase that was often associated from that movie and it's funny when people you know sometimes now you get people saying oh i don't like my fiction transformers whatever type of fiction to be political i'm sorry that film is hugely political in the way that it portrays the american military and everything that's going on it's it's massively so and um yeah as as you said maz you know there's some real questionable questionable stuff in there as well um that has not aged well unfortunately there's a, there's a weird thing throughout the film i know only noticed it on this time watching it where lots of characters seem to threaten to be beat up old ladies I don't know if have you noticed this. You know, uh, Bobby Bolivia oh, in, yeah. the, um, yep. in the car lot. And he's like shouting at that woman. He's like going to hit her. And then again, later, when they go to the hacker guy's house, Anthony oh, yeah, Anderson, yeah. he's like, start shouting about like, hit his grandma. And I was like, oh my God, there's a lot of <laughs> threats to hit really old women in there. But that bit when that guy fell in the swimming pool yes. made me laugh really oh, loud. It's the, again tonight. It's the, the way glass. he does it. Yeah, yeah the glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. It's the glass. But it's funny. Like, I, I have to tell you, like, on 13th viewing, it's not as funny. Obviously, <laughs> but yeah. I remember. No, you know, it never it will was be. Super yeah. funny at the time. Everyone yeah. laughed. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, raucous, um, that's what I mean stuff. about dialing it all up so high. You know, like the way he was towards his grandma. You playing those damn video games again? And then also Bobby Bolivia. Like the Bobby Bolivia scene has some nice lines in it. It's got some cool parts, but part of it is also a little bit cringe now. Watching it in hindsight, it's uh, it's just dialed up too much. Even though the lines are almost like hallowed Transformers lines now, especially when they were used in the Bumblebee trailer as well, which that yeah, really yeah, got yeah. me, actually. The, the, the bit about... When, when they say everything's more than meets the eye about 45 that times. That did come up a couple of times, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's the line, isn't it? The I cars, think it's more than meets the eye to you, Michaela. Cars don't pick the drivers. <laughs> Dri- uh, right. Drivers don't pick the cars, cars pick the drivers. Right. That's, the, right. that's the line, isn't it? That's the one. So. There's one great line in there that I actually picked up on this time, and I actually... Because these movies, like we're saying there, they have a lot of very silly lines and it's very rah-rah America talk. But there's one line when um, when Bumblebee turns into a car and Sam's trying to get Michaela to go. He said something like, 50 oh, yeah, years yeah. from now, when you look back at your life, don't you want to see you got in the car? And as someone now who's thinking of leaving the job of going to university and stuff like that, that really actually struck a chord with me tonight. And I was like, wow, that's actually quite profound. And you don't think of that from the Transformers films. It really, really struck a note. Well, that whole Bumblebee talking through the radio thing has become so hackneyed now you know it annoys people but in that scene with the music when he was there talking to them for the first time and then you know she says you know are you some kind of alien and he just you know he winks at her and points and then just turns into the car in front of them that still gives me tingles 
that was beautifully yeah. constructed scene. I love it. Again, it's, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm sort of keep making this point, but it, again, for me, it's just one of those where they did it in 2007 and it worked and then they dialed it up and kept doing it, you know, mm. for future yeah. things. And it became annoying and it became to the point where it was like, stop with the radio thing. Like we get it. It's been done, you know, and they were doing it in Transformers Prime and other stuff as well. And it was kind of like, ugh, back in 2007, it worked, you know, and it was fun. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's like a lot of that. The humor is, is such of that as well, you know, where actually you could look at it now and think, wow, some of the humor in that is, is you know, a bit on the fringe or whatever. But then it's it's dialed up again in later films. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it gets, it gets, I mean, beyond not even borderline. I was going to say some of it is just outright bad taste, not good, you know. Whereas actually in that film, it was still kind of, certainly at the time anyway, um, you know, it, it kind of felt like it worked. Um, so it's just it's just yeah. fascinating. Simmons is Simmons is really creepy. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, the stuff right. he keeps saying to Michaela, that it's constantly it's, he keeps saying like you're a criminal, criminal. Yeah, yeah. like, it sounds like Vince creepy. McMahon. Yeah, it's, it's, he doesn't <laughs> age well in that movie. But even in, when I remember watching the film, one of the things I really the, one of the things I disliked was him because it felt like he'd come in from somewhere else, like this completely over the top, mm. like. And you're like looking at all the other characters and you're like, don't they notice this guy how strange? It doesn't make any sense. It's too, it's almost too over the top. I think that's what I was... For a film that's really over the top. That's what I was saying earlier. You know, you've got all of these elements in this film. And again, it's worse in later films. Of course it is. But even in this film, there are Mm. so many elements that actually you could have lost a few and it would have been fine. And I think Simmons and that whole thread is one that could have gone, really. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. I actually think some of the hacking stuff could have gone as well do you know what i mean and it would have, wouldn't have, i mean it's still a long film it's still well over two hours this film it is so, a super long film yeah you know yeah. it's not as long as later films in the franchise but it's still yeah. long uh that's the thing so uh one, one of the other things i found was actually dialed back in this one and that's caught me off guard actually was you know how in the films how long they focus on uh michaela uh, uh megan uh, fox uh, a lot of it's very good Jesus. but in the first film there's some of it but i actually was struck by how minimal it was compared to what we came to see in the second and the third one where it's like you're just watching a music video over and over again yeah i actually agree with that it's the camera work in the first one i'll talk about in a minute but the the second one is just beyond gratuitous the third one is even worse in that regard you know with carly Mm -hmm. um it's it's yeah it's just like a it's almost like a caricature or a parody you know it's like what you would film to take the mickey out of that kind of thing it's just really something but but 2007 what's really fascinating for me about 2007 is michaela actually because uh fascinating character and it's weird how people write off the character of michaela baines and say oh you know she's useless or or she's you know just there as eye candy or whatever because actually she's the one of the most intelligent and uh she's the, the most- doer yeah, she's yeah. the do it. She's yeah. she's really the protagonist of the the film. Do you know what I mean? She's the take Sam out of it, and you could have the film mm-hmm. with her, and she would be your character. She's the one with the biggest arc. She has more more development in the film than Sam by a country mile. You know, she's mm-hmm. more capable than Sam. Very often, it's Sam that gets into situations like he's being attacked by frenzy, and she's the one that comes along with the chainsaw or whatever and saves mm-hmm. him. You know, she's the capable one. She's the one that in the battle. Uh, you know, teams up with Bumblebee and and sorts mm-hmm. it all out. You know, and she has 
you drive out. Yeah, shoot. exactly. And she has this kind of redemption arc where she learns to, you know, because she's talking at the start about how people don't accept her and, you know, a lot of guys are intimidated by her because she mm-hmm. knows about cars. She knows about cars. Sam doesn't. I mean, that's like another thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there's all of these elements that, about her and she goes on a bit of a journey. And I think um, what's unfortunate is that actually there's some really clever stuff in the script that isn't matched by the camera work. It's not congruent. So like in that scene where um, she's looking under Bumblebee's bonnet, you know, and she's talking about how she likes to work on cars. If you just listen to the words that she's saying, but mm-hmm. not look at the camera work, it's it's all there. You know, it's all talking. Yeah. It's, there's quite an intelligent uh, character in that, you know, that's really well written. It's talking about how, you know, all of that stuff, how she's not taken seriously and what have you. It's just unfortunate that then the camera work that they choose focuses on her body and kind of sexualizes her yeah or the fact that sam is not paying attention at all right mincing his words and all the rest of it yeah exactly he's very pervy it's hugely pervy and it's uh, it's just it's It's just again that whole dialed up situation and like this probably wouldn't go down this way in real life but we are winding it up to make entertainment and to appeal to this group of people yeah there's a lot of that there are really odd things in it like that like um when they're in the car together and they're in the tunnel and he says why don't you come and sit on my knee in the front of the car and you're like why what yeah. how did she just go oh yeah that makes sense because there's a seat belt and you're like what <laughs> it's such it's, a weird, it's weird there's a lot of stuff like that in the transformation where there's these weird little moments that suddenly just pull you out of it for a it's, second it's, like, it's almost what? like they crafted this actually relatively uh you know competent capable female protagonist and then they thought hang on this is not going to resonate with uh, our presumably our target audience, you know, teenage boys, and they stuck in the Sam Witty character, Witwicky character, to kind of be, uh, you know, relatable or whatever, and made him a complete hapless schmuck. And it's like wish fulfillment at that point. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's just really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and that, you know, there's been tons written about this before and whatever. But I think what's fascinating is that people get really. Um, like critical of Megan Fox in that film and critical of the character, but actually the character is fine. Really, really, you know, if anything for 2007, one of the sort of, um, it's not the derogatory portrayal that you might think it is. Do you know what I mean? That's the, the, it's the camera work is just what kind of betrays that. No, and neither was Rachel Taylor. Rachel Taylor's character was far from helpless as well. You know, she helped drive, certain elements of the of the overall story as well. Are you Samuel James Whitwicky, descendant of Archibald Whitwicky? I know your name. Yeah. My name is Optimus Prime. Having seen the movie, um, I remember my reaction when I when I saw it the first time. I was completely blown away and I wanted much, much more from it. Like I couldn't wait for the next installment or I mean I stayed through the credits and saw the Starscream scene to this day. I still don't know what he says. Um, I remember feeling, I think, genuine heartbreak that Jazz died because I loved Jazz in that film and I thought he was the slickest looking of all of them. I loved every little nod that they gave for Transformers fans. And I don't know if people realize how many nods they actually did give for the fandom. For example, looking back now, you may not understand that all those little jokes about eBay were probably a reference to Transformers fans because, you know, once upon a time, that was massively part of the community, was buying toys on eBay, was a big deal and very commonly spoken about in the fandom. So every time they spoke about eBay, it was like a little nod 
and everyone kind of giggled in the cinema. I remember that as Transformers fans. I've got one question, though. Why didn't they just bid on the glasses? It's <laughs> night <laughs> <laughs> Right? Why didn't they just... I mean, gigs and that yeah. stuff. Come on. Do you know what I mean? It's just absolutely yeah. ridiculous that they, they go off on this big plot to find these glasses and whatever. <laughs> just bid on them. Uh, it's probably two-factor authentication, I know. And Optimus, but, but Optimus <laughs> shows later, he is very impatient, doesn't he? Like, when they're looking from the room, every 30 seconds, yeah, he's popping yeah, his yeah. head in the window going, hey, up, mate, you, you find him, I, mate? I kind of like the idea you know. that there's an alternate storyline here somewhere where you've got the Autobots and the Decepticons in a bidding war on eBay, and that's the, <laughs> you know? Our uh, world, their war. Click, click, <laughs> click. Um, <laughs> Have you sent this yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please, can you make sure these? Please are leave positive feedback. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those glasses. That scene actually flags up something. I'm just going to quickly mention here in case I forget. Is when I was watching it tonight. There's, there's a bit like um, Optimus tells the story of what happened to Megatron, but he follows it up straight away with when he goes, "Oh, how did you find about the glasses?" He goes, "eBay." How does he know that story? Yeah. Good question. World Wide Web. Yeah. <laughs> but but. but but he tells Sam the story and then tells Sam he only discovered the existence of the glasses because he saw him on his scrolling through eBay. <laughs> like, how does he know the story of what happened to Megatron and Sam's great, great granddad? Don't think story? about it too much. Yeah, I think that was the key. But speaking of nods to fans. Oh, continuity. Let's not, let's <laughs> what does the TF wiki let's say about this? Let's talk about intra-film continuity, shall we? Let's just not mention that. Oof, but no, Do you remember the like... scene of, of Jazz jumping onto his hands and transforming? Yeah, that, sure. that was yeah. beautiful. So that was another nod to uh, to collectors and, and Transformers fans. I actually was going to say, there was one scene that made me laugh again um, on this final rewatch I did the other day, years later. And that was when he looks out of the window at his parents' house and they've all transformed to car mode, just sitting on his lawn like that. That still made me laugh. I was like, no, that's yeah. not hiding. <laughs> I still yeah, thought that, that was funny. It's a funny so some, scene. Of them, some of those scenes have... It's very deadpan. Well done. And you know the use of the music um, when he's chasing Michaela for the first time, just, you know, like, uh, you know, drive by the cars and Baby Come Back and, you know, all all the songs that Bumblebee plays. I felt like, um, I mean, I'd hate to compare it to a film that's so much better thought of, like Guardians of the Galaxy, but just the use of music like that, it it seems like it, it was... It was a really nice touch. It felt like a really cool touch at the time. And do you know yeah, what I think? I think what you've hit on with both of those scenes, you know, the the hiding scene in the garden, uh, which is, I think, still quite funny, and uh, and and the music and stuff. There's there's a kind of almost, again, almost. I say in, in relative terms, like an innocence with some of that film that isn't there in the later ones, and mm-hmm. the 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 kind of humour that's employed. Uh, like the hiding scene is a perfect example because it comes out of the moment. You know, it's actually kind of genuinely funny uh, in in a kind of sweet way that actually a lot of the humor in later films is more crass and more like people insulting each other or shouting in their faces or whatever. And and I don't think you have as much of that in the 2007 film. And I think a lot of this is probably Spielberg's influence, to be honest. I know that um, when the film was developed, I know that he was the one that was pushing for this angle of a boy in his car. That mm. all came from Spielberg, and it's very Spielbergian anyway, of course. But, right. you know, I, th- I think a lot of um, the, the sort of bayisms, as it were, are kind of a bit tempered in that first film, you know, and the, the kind of all-out bayhem, as he, I mm. think it's the phrase. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit 
muted in some senses. It's still there, obviously, but it's mixed in with some actual genuine heart. And I think you have it in those scenes that you're describing, Maz, where actually the, the, that influence is not there so much, particularly mm-hmm. from particularly in the later films, and it's just kind of gone by that point. And th- I think what, what you get is in later films, none of the characters are really likable. I mean, are there any likable characters in Age of Extinction? I cannot think of one. Um, are, there, are there any characters? Well, <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, they're kind of caricatures, if anything, you know, Cade yeah. uh, Yeager or what have you. These are not, yeah. he's not a likable person. Nothing about, you know, he's, he's like threatening and uh, violent. And yes, he's got qualities that you could say, like he wants to protect his family, but he's not actually doing that in what he's doing. So anyway, it's a whole other topic. Yeah. But But actually, you do have likable characters in the first film and you do have sweet, moments you know they're they're not the they're not abundant through the whole story but they're there no and i think that makes a big mm. difference yeah the first film does feel like it's still not targeted at younger kids but it's still on a platform of being a kids franchise almost it's it's older kids whereas like revenge of the fallen was it seems like it's very much targeted at uh older kids teenagers more doesn't it it's got that kind of way more explosions way more crass humor Whereas the first one's still, like you're saying about it, the Spielberg influence, it it's got that almost eighties film vibe yeah. where it goes from one point to another, and it's it is there's almost like an era of innocence, and there are crash jokes, but not in the same way. Like I say, the second one feels like they targeted a different crowd, almost like the kids that grew up with the first one. Yeah, yeah there's a lot right. more ethnic caricatures in in the movies as they've got on subsequently as exactly. well. They played a lot on that vibe as well, and it, it does exist in the first yeah. movie, um, but it's definitely toned up again in, in the subsequent yeah. films it's, it's exactly what we keep saying you know it's the, all the elements were there but they're just dialed up in later films whereas there's, there's almost a kind of slight feeling of restraint in 2007 yeah. and it, it, it works better for it did you then the two of you and i know i mentioned this a little earlier but so did you two walk out of the cinema wanting more after you saw that movie yeah i was gutted that I'd actually seen it a week early because I couldn't then go back. Because like when I saw Batman Begins, I watched it at midnight and I enjoyed it so much, I got straight back up the next morning and went back and watched mm-hmm. it again. And I really want to do that with this. But at that time, I, there was hardly anything about it. So it wasn't like you could talk to people Same. who had seen it and you couldn't go back and watch it. I even looked on the Pirate Bay to see if a version had leaked so I could watch it again. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't, obviously, because it wasn't out. And so it was actually really frustrating because we came out and we were all like, oh my God, that was amazing. This was the greatest thing I've ever seen. I need to see it again. It was so, so pumped mm. up. Then there was this realisation. It's like, oh God, I've got to waste, wait at least a week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah first of all, problems with watching premieres, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I really wanted to, I, yeah, I really wanted to see it again as well. I did go and see it. I can't remember how many times I saw it at the cinema, but it's definitely more than once, for sure. I took everyone who wanted to go. Anyone who was interested in going, I went with yeah. them again. But that was the thing. There was this whole atmosphere of people you knew who wanted mm. to see it because they were like, oh, it's Transformers. I remember that from being a kid. And they didn't know what it was going to be. They were like, whether they came out and loved it or hated it, there was, at, before they'd seen it, there was this very excited atmosphere to it. Everybody was interested. Like, oh, you've seen it. What's it like? What, what, what's Optimus Prime like? I think I took or... my mum. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. I took my mum to see it. Yes. That's so nice. What yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain I took my mum to see it. Finchley Road, O2 Centre in London. I'm pretty sure I took her to see it. I'll have to check. <laughs> I'll ask her. <laughs> but did you did you both find that you came out of it, like we were just saying there, like really energised? Because like that time I was picking up Transformers, but I wasn't really in a fandom or doing much. I was just picking up the odd, like the classics toys and the occasional reissue. 
almost like on the outskirts. But when I came out of that, I felt so yeah, positive. And it was like, almost like being reborn oh, as a Transformer. Absolutely. Like, yeah. When I came out of the UK premiere, they had that thing where someone with a mic comes up to you at the end, just like for the TV adverts, they record your reaction to it. And uh, I, w- I was with one of my friends and they were just asking us about the movie and we, we were like crazy buzzed about it. But I think other people must have been more buzzed or more interesting because we didn't end up on the advert. That will lead nicely into talking about the designs and how toys came out and how we sort of went from loving the movie to almost doing what we do as toy collectors after it. Did you come out energized after the movie? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely, I did. Absolutely. I think it was... Um... I wasn't like collecting tons at the time, just masterpiece, uh, you know, bits and bobs. But um, but yeah, definitely great feeling afterwards. Absolutely loved it. And uh, as I say, did, did want to go and see it again. Did want to see more. Uh, had a, had a great feeling for the film uh, in general. And um, I think uh, yeah, I was going to say as well that what is interesting to me now is that actually critically, uh, it was. I mean, it wasn't overwhelmingly positive, but it wasn't um, no. completely awful either. It, it had, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was mixed to, to maybe, mm. but there was a lot of positive reviews of that film. I mean, I remember um, at the time, I you know was reading Empire Magazine a lot and stuff like that, and they liked it. I think it was a four star review from memory. And uh, Paul Ross probably called it the greatest film of all time. <laughs> Is that right? If you if you remember Paul Ross, do you remember Paul Ross? Like, just it was always like the paid critic who loved like the worst yeah, films yeah. ever made. It's like ten out of You're ten. Right. I do remember that Blair Witch Project Nine. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it, it was. I mean, it certainly had it, uh, its share of drubbings, but it wasn't the overwhelming voice at all. And there wasn't this um, exhaustion that there is now, you know, with the the Transformers franchise at all. Uh, so actually, it was kind of a, a fairly, yeah, I'd say positive vibe. I remember talking to people about it, you know, at work and whatever, and they were like, yeah, man, yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, I've seen mm-hmm. it. There, there was so much love, though. Like, everywhere you went, like, as it came out, it was incredible seeing Transformers posters and stuff in windows, shop windows, where you, you haven't seen them for, like, 20 years. Right. Like, in really major shops and stuff, like, they might have toys in the corner for the years, but you were seeing things in places you weren't used to seeing them. Like, it became mainstream in a way that it, it didn't even in its like pomp in g1 wasn't it it was everywhere all seeing of the, the time. trailer for the movie in other movies before it came out was a yeah. real thing i remember as well that really got me going as well and on yes. tv stuff like that like it's insane like just there, there'd been nothing like it in transformers and it was i can't even imagine the most cynical of person was not swept up in a wave of just like wow. i think you would have if you'd have hated that concept artwork fair enough I think by this point of the film being released and the hype it was getting and everything, I think you would have, to have not been swept up in it at least a little bit, you would have almost had to have made a conscious effort by that point to to kind of really dislike it. You know, like, I I can imagine that there will have been Transformers fans that won't have enjoyed it, of course, fair enough. Mm -hmm. But I think to to be Mm -hmm. hugely cynical about everything that was happening with it at the time that's that's a choice at that point because whether you appreciated every element of the film or not to to see what it was already doing for transformers and for your franchise you know your favorite thing and not see that as some kind of positive yeah i think that's that's a choice yeah i remember my boss hated it like because when i went with the people from work he's a really good friend of mine from years before and he's a transformers fan but not a collector or he was a fan as a kid and you know occasionally talked about it in nostalgic terms but when we came out the cinema i remember him just looking at me going that was one of the worst things i've ever seen 
I well, hated it. Absolutely hated it. And it was just like, but that's what I mean. He's not he's not a, a fan yeah, yeah. as such. He was a fan as a kid. But to him, it was just like, this is not what I wanted from a Transformers film. And he just kept saying, I didn't know where to look. I couldn't tell what was I happening. I do remember some people I went with having that opinion. Absolutely. The Transformers will return after these messages. Okay, well, it's time to take a look at our sponsor, tfsource.com. So we're going to have a a quick look in true triple takeover fashion at uh, a little bit of what they've got in stock at the moment and kind of give it a quick appraisal. Uh, I've just been having a... Make fun of what Liam's going to buy. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, what uh, what what's Liam up to this week? Uh, I just Bring had a, a quick look at the site. There's quite a few things actually that I'm into at the moment. I noticed they've got the old uh, X Transbots Omnibots up for order. Can't cut that segment out, Maz. You've got to leave that in. Uh, but uh, they're I'm looking at a few things you're interested in buying, which surprised nobody. Yeah, well, there you go. But uh, I've actually also, as well, I noticed they've just got the old fans' hobby uh, Armada Megatron, Meg Tyranno, I think it's called, up for pre order as well. That's just gone up today, I think. Uh, and that looks pretty swish. Quite excited about that. I noticed they've got the uh, Transart Black Agent, the Beast Wars Ravage, up in stock now. So I'm very excited about that one as well. Uh, and Maz, I did think you might be interested in the, we've talked about it a few times, but the TFC. Uh, ST Commander. Uh, yeah, I see it on the front player. page. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, it was actually that made me want the original Rolling Thunder. Uh, right. So oh, that's a marvelous toy. It is, and I think it scales with the uh, with the new Diaclone toys, doesn't it? it and does. I remember, you can from yeah, yeah, desperately you can fit the wanting toys, to, to get a hold of that and, and include it with all those Diaclone toys. That would have been really amazing. But you were talking about uh, the fans' hobby, Armada Megatron. Now, Armada is not something I've ever been interested in, like ever. But um, I saw your photos of the Micron Densetsu Megatron MD01, and that mm. head sculpt just uh, it grabbed me. I don't know what it was about it. And knowing what fans' hobby do with, um, with their figures, uh, that actually looks like... Um, like if you go to the TF Source page, it's like one of the first things there, and uh, it's really, really eye-catching. But uh, Ace Hitter is, is another fans' hobby thing that... Um, is coming my way. That's one I've uh, I've said yes to. Can I just I say, do, do you think I'm going to let that slide where you just said MB01? Why, when I say O, you always pick me out? <laughs> well, it is MD01. That one actually is MD01. That, that actually, actually yeah, yeah, technically, actually does have an O in it. O is a letter. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh I, had it coming. I had it coming. Yeah, right, I had it coming. waiting. He's been yeah. hanging on to that one, hasn't he? God. What, what are you <laughs> into? Put it moment, down Liam? and post it. <laughs> what what are you seeing on there, Liam, that you might go for? He needs to buy uh, a replacement Kingdom tracks, doesn't he? <laughs> well, I'm, Mate, sure a, a, awesome. I'm sure there's a children's section here somewhere. Do you want to <laughs> shop around for it? I don't know. Do they sell bot bots? I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> bot bots are serious toys, man. Don't be knocking bot bots. That's that Studio Series Perceptor. That looks fantastic. The that does look really good. One. Those things yeah, that, are amazing. That Retgar looks exceptional. I can't even tell you. I Like, I was looking at it, and the pictures of Retgar, you know, riding Retgar, essentially, and I, I was just like, wow, that is really cool. Really, really cool. Uh, yeah, quite tempted by that. And the Perceptor looks fantastic as well. They've done a great job of that. Yeah, Perceptor looks good, and uh, maybe we can avoid um, making fun of Sweep, but uh, even Coronation Starscream looks nice. I, I'm into the Coronation Starscream. I, you know, I know it's the same toy, and people are a little bit, you know, kind of have have opinions on that or whatever. But it's got still, a chair. I think it, it looks yeah. It's got, <laughs> it's, a chair. Got, it's got a new hat. It's 
got a new hat and a little <laughs> robe. Uh, so, so I mean, he looks pretty fancy, good. doesn't he? He's happy. He does. He's jaunty. Uh, anyway, yeah, plenty <laughs> of stuff up on tfsource.com now. Thank you very much to them for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, and do check them out because uh, you know what? They got you covered in terms of new Transformers toys. We now return to the Transformers. Can we talk about character choices for the movie? How did you, like the, obviously we had Optimus Prime, we had Megatron, Starscream, Understandable, Bumblebee. Well, maybe not so obviously back then, but yes, no. you know, we had Bumblebee. It wasn't an obvious choice. Um, this was his rebirth, right. wasn't it? This is where he came mm. back, is here. Yeah, and, and look at the influence that's had on everything since 14 years yeah. of Bumblebee. Um, People forget, you didn't see Bumblebee post-G1 at all, did you? He wasn't in any of the R.I.D. or any of the Unicorn right. Trilogy. So now we have Barricade uh, in concept art shown as being called Brawl. And you had, obviously, a couple of Constructicon kind of guys. We had Bone Crusher and we had uh, Brawl, who actually ended up being yeah, called Devastator in the movie. Devastator. Um, well, there were the four, uh, the four of them. Frenzy. Blackout as well. Blackout, mm. Barricade, um, Brawl and uh bone crusher all four of them rotated <laughs> names at one point and they had um, devastator in there as well there were various uh, names and they, they just couldn't settle and that's are they all bees uh i'd never picked up on that barricade brawl bone Bar crusher and blackout. barry and blackout yeah they are <laughs> but Baz. <laughs> <laughs> the b sharps <laughs> but how did you feel about that uh, ensemble yeah, I loved it. I thought I, the, the I never knew who great. Blackout was, but no. yeah, I mean, but, I, I didn't know who Blackout was. I was sold immediately. Same with Barricade. Yeah, it, it was never a problem for me that these weren't known characters, and I was never fussed about that. I liked that mm. the, the Autobots were known names, even if they, mm-hmm. you know, varied in terms of how recognizable they were. But even then, I, I wasn't expecting to see G One replicated in its entirety on the screen. I, I think you know we'd already mm. seen enough of. The, the designs and stuff. In a way, because the concept artwork was so out there, by the time you saw it in motion and everything, it was, you know, it, it was fine. And I think the Decepticons looked fantastic. And I, I think that the Decepticons have never been better in any subsequent film than they were in 2007, mm. personally, because I think they were so, more, um, you know, they, they weren't f- like fully fleshed out characters or anything, but they looked more distinguishable, you know, just the fact that one was green kind of helped a little bit, you know. Mm. Um, but one was recognizably a tank. One was recognizably a helicopter. One was very recognizably a police car. So that that kind of worked for me. Um, Bone Crusher, I don't think... Um, I mean, it, that was probably the, one of the more out there designs. But even at the time, I remember seeing that clip in the trailers of it going through the bus mm-hmm. and just being like, that is the, the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, there's no, mm. nothing beats that. You know, it's like, it's, you know. So I think, um, again, the fact that it wasn't classic G1, eh, so what? Do you know what I mean? It looks it looks fun. Mm, it looks cool. right. Very, bought, bought in very quickly, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be the opposite because I remember really disliking a lot of the designs in the film. And it's not because they weren't G1. I didn't care about that because we'd already been through R.I.D. and the Unicron trilogy, so I was quite happy with other designs. It's because they just so many of them I couldn't get read on and they'd look so weird. Like to me, Starscream, like I really liked how he moved. I liked his jet mode and I liked his character, but his robot mode looked like a Dorito that had been run over and then eaten by a raccoon and vomited back up. Cause it's like, you're looking at it going, what is this? What is this mess of a thing? And the chicken legs. I was like, I don't, it's not what I wanted. I don't want them to look like G1. 
or anything else in particular. It's just, I don't know. I, I suppose I like a certain obvious aesthetic. You know what I mean? Like, like chunk, you like chunk, you like chunky so, guys. That's the thing. You like chunky, chunky. Yeah, funny because I like a bit of chunk on my Starscream to be almost <laughs> the most visibly coherent for me of the Decepticons. Like I could actually Agreed. tell. I could probably draw him but, from memory, but I couldn't do that with Barricade or or Brawl. Uh, and definitely not Megatron. But that's, but that's the thing. Like, I really liked. Um, oh my god! I keep. I, how do I keep forgetting his name? Helicopter Blackout. 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 again. <laughs> Blackout. Oh my god! I know this, and I keep forgetting his name. Now but, forever uh, known really as Helicopter. Him, he looked cool, right? <laughs> but the way he moves and carries himself, like the way yeah. he, it's fantastic. And his design, it's still quite humanoid. And it's the same with Brawl. I know what I'm looking at, but. Starscream in particular, it was really hard, even though he's got like the cockpit mm. chest and stuff like that. And and it's weird because I actually really like the design now that I've got older. I made peace with it. And I actually, I love it. It's one of the few movie toys I've got is the mm-hmm. studio series one because the jet mode is fantastic. And I like the robot mode. But back then it was just like, ah, oh, I don't, it just doesn't look like what I want from robots. But I enjoyed it in the film. Mm-hmm. If that it makes does. Sense. Like, it I, does. No, I wasn't anti it, but it was the same with like, my favorite thing from the movie was Jazz because I it looked recognizable, like something. Oh, so bummed. It, it didn't look died. like G one, but it's like no, he's not going to be in yeah. any subsequent movies. I, I loved Jazz in that movie; it really did. Oh, so unwise. Right. As a, one of the best bits. That's in the Megatron. Film. But like, yeah, no. But he says that just before. No, he, he, he says that about. when uh, Sam won't give he him says the that cube. To Spike, doesn't he? Sam won't give yeah. him Spike. That's what he says. But look at this dinosaur. Look, let's call him by his real name. <laughs> his given name. But we're forgetting Scorponok. Yeah, see, um, that was weird. But I like it now, and I liked it in the film. See, again, it's one of the things you see it in motion. You like it, but when you look at the design itself, I'm a bit like, oh, it's just it doesn't tend to Scorpion a robot. Are, yeah, but I like the Scorpion's a weird one because it doesn't transform, um, and so it's a bit like it's weird that they went with that as like the poster child of a lot of the the trailers, and you know mm-hmm. that they really put Scorpion front and center, didn't they? Uh, which was a weird, a weird choice in a way because it's so unrecognizable as like anything that was Transformers beforehand. And I remember a lot of people were um, that was a controversial element before the film was released, you know, because that name uh, has very heavy connotation of what it represents prior to two thousand seven. And then suddenly you're like, well, this is not a headmaster, and it doesn't transform, and, rah, 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 and people get very uppity about it, don't they? But um, still looks cool. I think I think if you take two thousand seven. Yeah as just a very cool sci-fi film it's it's great like it's a great design the shot of it coming up out yeah. the sand all of that amazing yep. yeah there's this there's a thing I, how i try and always break it down with the movie characters is there's this ethos in the films that i know a lot of people like where it's every part of the robot is constructed from a car part it's like the idea is they laid out all the car parts and so everything is that and so to me it's not something I, I like because for me, Transformers, it was the robots are in disguise as cars. They're not the cars, if that makes sense. And I think the movie flips that a bit where the whole basis of Transformers is wherever they go, they're automatically in disguise and they take on the forms where is I like the idea of them being something else and then having to hide inside, if that makes sense. And so for me, I always think there's a robot inside wearing a car rather than it being a car that is a robot. Does that make sense? Sort of, yeah. I kind, I kind of so get you where you're going, and it is, it is a really different one. I remember the bit where Optimus uh, appears as a protoform, and then you know scans the truck and turns into the truck. That was like, oh, okay, that's quite different. 
Uh, and of course, now that's sort of accepted part of canon. That's like happens all the mm -hmm. time in Transformers. But that had never been uh, really done before. I think the, the closest that you'd ever really seen was in uh, the, the first pilot episode of yeah, the, the Sky Spy. Where, yeah, where yeah. Sky Spy goes and scans stuff. And the, you know, there was a nod to that, but you, you'd never seen Transformers just like Bumblebee changing the form of Camaro that he is or whatever. You know, you've mm -hmm. never seen that where it's just like willy nilly. They're just like, oh, I'm going to be something else now. And that mm. so that was a bit of a departure, but I think that's I think that's yeah, I think that's it as well. The protoform scene because they all they all look the same, not identical, but they're all very slim silver robots. And for me, when the first time I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, I feel like it's taken away so much of what gives Transformers a personality, which is their different colors, their completely different looks, and they were all essentially like skeletons from Funny Bones. You know, they're like in a dark, dark street in a dark, dark house. All these little robots. Well, that's why the subsequent and... films and their battle scenes you know they were filled with these protoforms yeah. weren't they and that definitely yeah. felt less transformers to me well there's no personality right. with them i felt because it's they're so hard to distinguish from one another like when you see cybertronian designs now there's it's like that's optimus prime these characters yeah. and they have very recognizable features that you pick out straight away and then you take on certain traits from them you like you can come up with ideas like we were saying about the bios and g1 toys you come up with your own stories but if you look if you bought toys of just protoforms, there's nothing to distinguish them. And they just, there's nothing there that gives them I, I can see what you're saying. Life. I think when you compare that protoform design and you imagine what the Bumblebee movie um, opening scene, I know it's not necessarily a prequel and that's not what I'm going on about or any of that, you know what I mean? Getting into that yeah. kind of continuity aspects of it. Mm -hmm. But if you imagine that Bumblebee scene set on Cybertron with just protoforms, it, it wouldn't yeah. have the same, it wouldn't be good. Right. Let's be fair, yeah, it wouldn't be... Yeah. It wouldn't be enjoyable no, in the same way. You'd have no idea who no. anyone was because they're all silver. It wouldn't, and it wouldn't be the same. Thing. Just as a funny story, what I will say, we were watching um, some of the G1 cartoon the other day um, with my, my wife and uh, watching it with our son. And um, she she commented and was like, uh, she thought we had seen it before years ago, but uh, and she was like, oh, why do they have their, their like earthen look, you know, and like Optimus and whatever? when they don't turn into earthen vehicles. What's all that about? I'm just like, well, that's just their look. That's like the way it is. She's like, but wouldn't the parts be different? You know, like those chests and yeah. stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, I know. But it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, you're just going to go with it. But I think I think in a way, um, yeah, the, the protoform thing was such an extreme thing the other way, wasn't it? Of like, oh, they just look like weird aliens yeah. on Cybertron. And then it's only when they come to Earth that they sort of resemble cars or whatever it was kind of it was a it was a departure for sure but that, that's the thing like they like when you see iron high's design in the movie when he when he becomes the truck he looks cool it's interesting and it gives him personality and life but when you see him just before he turns into it as the protoform you're like i couldn't tell you if that was someone or someone else you know because they just all look the same and i was actually watching it when i was watching it today i was really determined to focus on that to see if there were of his cues and i know someone's going to throw up a load of pictures and go see they are different but in the moment when they're moving you can't tell one mm. from another and it's because they all look so similar and i just think you take away so much life and also when they're falling to earth what's all the stuff that's falling off of them what are they like i know it's when they come to earth, there's all bits coming off them. <laughs> <laughs> gold plastic <laughs> it's a weird scene that whole protoform just... scene with them coming i mean in its way it's sort yeah. of iconic now isn't it it's it like is, yeah. that you know, yeah. but it is, but it hasn't. It's one of the best it, scenes in the stirring. film. But when you think it's about a stirring it, stirring scene. Yeah, it is. The, the, the score, man, but, the arrival yes. to Earth. But you're like, how did they get yeah. there? Hmm. Was somebody launching them by catapult from Mars? Is that where they've been? Because it, it just doesn't. There's no explanation of where they come from or how they are 
they're just literally falling out of the sky and there's all sorts of bits like falling behind them. Yeah. Like, what are they? Particularly, it's, are they particularly it's never done again in later films. No. Again, not that it matters, no. but you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a weird thing all to itself for that film, yeah. isn't it? It's just like a, a thing that they did. Well, I reckon they were in disguise as little meteorites or meteors or asteroids. <laughs> and they were just like shedding the rocks when did, they were landing. Didn't want to get recognized by other well, meteors. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and upset the ecosystem. Yeah. Wow. Rock lords. <laughs> That's yeah. what they are. They're rock lords. <laughs> it's a story of rock lords becoming transformers. That's basically yeah. the movie. It's, it's, a, Stealth rock it's Lord a collaborative movie. thing. It's two, two franchises coming together in one film. There you go. Outstanding. You feeling lucky, punk? Easy, Iron-Eyed. Just kidding. I just wanted to show him my cannons. We just mentioned it briefly, the soundtrack. Uh, so we've got the soundtrack and the score from the movie. Um, how did you guys rate that? Ooh, I mean, the the score is something. It's got to be it's said. Fantastic. Like it's yep. it, It's incredible. Absolutely love it. I think um, for me now, I, if you were going to talk about Transformers music in general, like through the the thirty five years of the franchise or whatever, some of that Jablonski score is right up there for me in terms of just how emotive it is. I can still listen to it now, and I'm right back there at the time. I love it. I think it fits perfectly true. the 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 tone of the film perfectly in many ways. Like the the arrival from Cybertron scene is iconic, partly because of that music for sure. Um, mm. I think the Autobot theme is is immense. I think there's just Love it. Absolutely love it. It's perfectly pitched and it's a bit like the Rocky soundtracks as well. It's a soundtrack that's keyed into emotion in it mm-hmm. as well. Like every time you hear it, it stirs something in you and it's very particularly done like that. Like you say, the arrival scene when they're all coming in and it's just this sense of wonder as they're all falling above the heads and stuff. And the music's just lifting and it lifts you yeah. up with it. But there's also there's the song, the tune that plays when they're battling Scorponok and the jets come Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. And it just sort of like goes yeah. up. Doesn't it? The military. It's like the gym all yeah, the time. Yeah. It's really <laughs> motivational. Yeah. Running about like... Duh, 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 duh. Yeah, I really yeah, like yeah. the, oh, the Blackout really... song, the the song from the attack on Soxent Base at the beginning. I, I listen to that one quite yeah. a lot because I, I really love the way that music changes once uh, Blackout transforms and starts shooting. I, I really right. like that. And he's uh, stealing the files, but also the the song from the Bumblebee transformation scene, just when he's yeah, talking to them well. after beating Barricade. I found that really stirring. Yeah. Do you know what I will say though is that um, although the Autobot theme is more obvious and it's you know stellar and amazing and whatever, the Decepticon theme is also fantastic. It's entirely different. It's yeah. creepy as anything. It's like really slow slowed down it's got those um weird voices in it you know it's obviously they've got a choir in or something and kind of vocoded it a little bit mm-hmm. um and i absolutely love that i think it's chilling as anything uh and just perfect love it and i remember i remember that in the film as well when all the decepticons mm-hmm. are like mobilizing that's really good one of the things i love about the score on this is the way it's chopped up as well so it repeats throughout like different sections of different songs they just suddenly yeah. kick in like you remember like uh, arrival to earth but if you watch the film again you hear like the start of it mm-hmm. earlier on in a different place and then you hear it like a slightly different version of it later and it's all very like stirring and it it really like that film i know michael bay was like a mu- mu- music video director and stuff like that and it plays into the way that soundtrack works so well because it goes with there's all this iconography in that film like the bit where bumblebee stands up at the little sandy mountain and it's night and there's smoke going everywhere and the music rises and you're like the music fits so perfectly with that. Yeah, I think um, 
I'm a, a lot of people now talking about MCU films. You know, when you hear the Avengers score, it's like that. It's like that climactic moment, isn't it? Of just like, wow, okay, here we go. They've assembled what have you, you know, in Endgame and things like that. And and to me, it's it's very much the same thing in the Transformers films. You know, when you hear that Autobot music go, it's like, okay, here we are. Do you know what I mean? This is like very rousing indeed. Um, and I just think it was. It, it, it's a little bit heavy-handed at times, the score, but it's still fantastic. And it's no surprise that it was like the kind of heavily influential on a lot of Transformers music at the time. I mean, stuff like Transformers Prime and everything that came after it all went for that sound, didn't it? And, and a lot of other film scores as well. And, and a lot of different films really tried to ape what happened with that, for sure. It's, it really like fits in though, like because we were talking about the scene earlier where Megatron is trying to get Sam, you know, and the oh so unwise mm-hmm. bit, and is and he's clean onto those like it's statues like isn't he, of like people in shroud. <laughs> yeah, but but the music that's going at the time is like this, like yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 you know that kind of music. And there's a lot of that, like you were saying with the Decepticon thing. There's a lot of like really sinister music as well. Yeah, how does it sound? Oh. Mm. it's almost like I'm there in the theater. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's like yeah, Druid, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's a bit like you know, that. Sacrificing. It's a bit like that. Sam Witwick. Druid, think... isn't that the last night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny listening, li- listening to later films. Uh, the, I still like the music, actually, throughout the whole series, but it's never as good as in that first one. They, they, there they... is one tune that stands out, and that's Lockdown's theme in Age of Extinction. No, I really good. like that. But then I actually realised that it's just a direct rip of the end music from the second episode of Game of Thrones. So if you listen to the credits music, Game of Thrones, episode two, season one, it is basically exactly Lockdown's theme. Yeah. Really? All right. So earlier, I always say like Revenge of the Fallen is the worst film I've ever seen or one of the worst films. But I really like the soundtrack in that because they there's a different Linkin Park song, isn't they? But they use that throughout the film as well as part of the soundtrack. Like the, I think that's the Dark score. of the Moon. And I really like the way that... I think Dark of the Moon is the one with the Linkin Park track that is used in the score as well. Unless they did it for both films and I don't remember... Yeah, they did it because they do it when they're going through China. You hear at the start with the, that's the one with the, what's it called? The little ice cream van, isn't it? Yep. That's the second that's one. second one, yeah. Yeah, and you hear it there. You hear that, the not the Linkin Park song from the first film, sure. but they did another yeah. one, didn't they? But it is factored into the score, and I really like that as well. That's a really good one for, for the gym. Yeah. So, speaking of the soundtrack, so we, we talked about the score. We've got the soundtrack for uh, the first movie as well. And uh, obviously the Linkin Park song is hugely intertwined yeah. with with the soundscape of that movie especially like the credit scene at the end as well it's so strongly tied into even, that even but in the how trailer. did you guys yes right and even and the, the other song i i mean i don't know the name of it it's when uh, blackout is chasing bumblebee and uh, the the car chase starts and he just he walks and he dives he into used. the car mode that was a a wow moment in the cinema for everyone as well and then they come out of the dust the, yeah and, yeah I can't remember which used song it is, but it's the band they used, and it was quite—they were quite big at the time in the older emo circles. But the Linkin Park songs were—they were so good as well. They really caught on. But I remember seeing—I saw Linkin Park. I've seen Linkin Park loads, and I remember seeing them after that film came out, and particularly after the second one, I remember seeing them download, and they played the two Transformers mm, wow. songs there, and like all the crowd was there, like very excited for Linkin Park songs. But there was a noticeable shift. Like you, you saw other people coming in as the Transformers mm. songs kicked in because it just seemed to How brilliant. And then when I saw them at the ice, at the Nottingham ice arena a couple of years later as well, and they did it again, they were playing the Transformers songs, but you, you, you look around and you can see people who know, you know, like the Transformers and you just, you see this little look and you're like, yeah. I remember <laughs> us talking to a friend of ours at TFN 
um, who's you know a lot younger, I had to say, and uh, and she was saying that uh, you know that for her the Linkin Park song was you know because obviously kind of growing up more as a, you know with the films and stuff of childhood, and that that for, that music for her was just iconic, you know, just absolutely. Um, so that's her so the time. touch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. In a way that I, I think you have a different relation, relationship with it in that way, don't you? You know, like I mean. Mm. It, only in the same way that we we listen to the '86 soundtrack so much, and uh, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think it's exactly the same thing. It, hard to imagine for us, I'm sure. But one of my favourite moments with my girlfriend was at one of the downloads after that film, and I remember we were stood on the hill as they were playing the song, and we were both really drunk, but we were both with all our mates, we were all just really singing that Link Apart song from the first Transformers film and absolutely loving it because it's like a big shared experience mm-hmm. of like, wow. And it's like, cause they're all new metal or, and all that, all them fans. So we're all there for everything else. But that thing came together and everyone was suddenly like oh, the Transformers one. And everyone's there like really singing. It's, it's an ama- amazing memory that I'll always have. Where is the cube? Uh, so, I feel we would be remiss on a toy cast not to talk about toys. But before we do get to the to the toys of the first movie, um, I wanted to just talk about the branding and the logos that were used, and just the whole uh, visual style of the, the 2007 movie. And do you remember the website pre-release? Um, just the, the new Transformers logo in, in the silver and very mechanical metal style. Uh, so how did you guys find that? Like obviously, it was a bit of a departure from from what had gone before. I thought it was great. Like the the logo is like probably the closest to the traditional logo that we've had. Like that, it's different in its own way, but it it's still quite similar, isn't it? You can see the influences. I guess I, I was less less taken, to be honest. I, I don't know. Like it's fine. Um, I find it a little bit um, stuck, a bit generic, almost. Yeah, you know, I like the kind of block uh, grey. Uh, logos, the even like the Autobot and Decepticon logo and everything. I don't know. Just I, I like colourful stuff, <laughs> hence why I love things like late G One and things like that. And um, it just wasn't that, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I think that they went a little bit generic with some of that, but maybe that's what they had to do to kind of reel in. The kind do of you think it would stuff. have worked aesthetically with just the whole massively military vibe of the movie to have had really colourful? logo and, and gone very visibly red and purple i'm sure that's true I, i've no doubt do you know what i mean i, I just i don't know for me like you know you, you look at the decepticon logo on something like our our triple takeover artwork i really mm. love that sort of style you know that like that's very that, beautiful yeah well done. but that kind of like blocky um just <laughs> very kind of flat color matte you know that i love i think that's really kind of stylish and um I, the by comparison the some of the graphics and stuff from the film you know they've got that kind of very sort of robotic gray element to them it's just not as appealing to me that's all uh, it's just purely a visual thing but you're right it probably does fit the film a little bit better with the kind of military theme and all of that uh, kind of stuff so yeah the branding was so good like at the time like like you were talking about earlier the the eye above the earth and that stuff in that, that you cool. saw that image repeated yes. everywhere like and it was such a because it's it doesn't show you everything in the mm. film, does it? Like a lot of posters, you get loads, you see the characters, and this didn't. There was still an air yeah. of mystery. And you still remember like, 747 wow, just... very clearly from yeah. that whole uh, marketing. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a perfect teaser poster because it doesn't give away anything other than just very subtle hints. It's funny that we remember 747, yeah. even though for us that makes no sense. Because yeah. that would be That's like... Right. With the seventh of April, what is the? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Is that is that a big thing? Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. but obviously for for Americans, you know, huge. But um, yeah, but you're right. The whole branding of it and everything, it did work at the time, and I was into it. It's just purely now, like looking at it. If I was to say aesthetically, I prefer this thing or the other. Uh, you know, it's not it's not my cup of tea necessarily. And then, of course, that branding, uh, when applied to toy packaging, they had the eye, but then there was like a lot of red on the on the boxes and the cards for the 2007 toys. Uh, and I remember I actually was quite into that. I quite liked the way that the packaging looked for that whole line. And it was very consistent. You know, you had the leader figures in the tall boxes in robot mode, but then you had the voyagers in vehicle mode in the slightly smaller ones. And then in carded, you had the vehicle modes as well, didn't you? For the for the carded figures like Bumblebee and like Scorponok didn't have another mode, <laughs> but uh, so that kind of thing. So I quite like the packaging. Did you? Um, Action master. He had, he had a robot you, like, mode, didn't he? he? He could stand uh, up. Sort of. Yeah, it was. Like, <laughs> I've been racking my brain while approaching this segment, trying to remember it. But I mean, it. Let's face it; it wasn't. When you say he could stand up, is it like a dog standing up trying yeah, to like, get something? Yeah, it was, something it was like some hind, hind leg <laughs> business. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Yeah. With the shooting spear, right? Apologetic legs. <laughs> but uh, did, were you? Were any of you ever drawn to the toys? Like, did you guys ever collect any of the toys from two thousand seven? Not really. Like, it, I remember going in to look at them because I, I was quite taken, obviously taken by the film. But I remember looking at them, and I, they never really appealed to me. Like, the more I looked at them, and I wanted them to. It's a weird thing. Like, I would look through them trying to find one that I was like, "Wow, I must have this." But then I'd see one being like, "Oh, I don't like the robot mode." And and it's funny, like when you look at the toys now, I can see why I didn't like them at the time because they didn't. A lot of them, they didn't look like the characters on the screen. And I'm not one normally for screen accuracy, but like the one I was really taken with was mm. Jazz. But then when I saw the toy, it's mm. like, oh, that does, it doesn't translate. No, in 2007, they hadn't done a particularly good job of capturing the movie likeness. It's almost like they hadn't worked out how to incorporate transformation versus screen accuracy versus complexity and that sort of part count it wasn't quite there yet no i would i would hold with that i do still have i do still have a legends blackout from that era so that's about it but there were there must have only been like three or four that i ever picked up and yeah i liked them they were good fun toys but there were some fun toys there were some fun toys i had a couple not many i mean we as i said uh, my wife had a bumblebee she had the um the the old camaro bumblebee um, I think we had the two pack actually. So it, it was a two pack of the new and the old Bumblebee, um, and I think we had both. Yes, uh, in, yep, our, in, our, in our gaff yeah. at yeah. the time, and uh, which was surprisingly transformer free at the time. Uh, masterpieces and uh, a couple of masterpieces and, and a few 2007 toys, and that was pretty much mm. it at the time. But it was a small flat at the time, and uh, yeah, no, I, we had. I think we had the leader Optimus. Uh, which was a really fun toy, actually. I did like it, but again, like Liam said, didn't look necessarily exactly like the screen. You know, it was, it, there was a right. lot of divergence for sure. Yeah. And, and whilst I, similar to Liam, I'm not like it's got to look exactly like the, the screen. I think for the big for the big film, it was kind of disappointing how little some of the toys looked like what they were supposed to. You know, on, on the you, you 
there are a lot of very visible compromises, yeah. aren't there? And I think that's what always yeah. put me off. Like you I, I think it's it. when you when you see the transformation in the film and it's clearly like two thousand moving parts, you know, to kind of get it from one to the other. And then when you get the toy, and obviously it's not gonna be like that, but you know, it's like you fold the head out and flip this over and whatever, and there's a lot of compromise in terms of how it goes from one to the other. So yeah, I think you're right, Mass. They just hadn't really kind of got it yet in terms of how to translate those designs to toy form. It's true. Having said that, um, in in a statement that will not surprise you, uh, when I was into something, I went full on. I bought everything. Well, that's very uh, unlike so, you. Yeah. So I was in the US in 2007 the uh, when the movie had come out. <laughs> we went to Walmart, to, to Kmart. We went to Toys R Us. We went everywhere we could. We went in Rhode Island. Uh, we went in New York. We even went in uh, Connecticut because we, we went to Manchester, Connecticut on the way to New York. And uh, I remember taking all of the, basically the entire first wave of 2007 toys, packaging them up and shipping them to myself from the US at BotCon because I wanted them all. There were Mountain Dew bottles that they were selling in supermarkets <laughs> with Transformers wrappers. I bought those. The, uh, they had these little, uh, in Radio Shack we went to, they had these guns where you would charge the car on top and then you could shoot the car off. So not only did I pick up all of those, I even asked them if I could take the store display. And yes, they let me take the store display. <laughs> um, the movie had just obviously come out. And in 2007, all of the hotels that were registered to BotCon in Rhode Island had um, exclusive hotel keys. And they had room keys, which had different characters on them. So, of course, there was a bunch of us going around making sure we all had all the room keys and buying them off people who didn't want them afterwards. So I had a full collection of the, the room keys. There was just anything I could get my hands on, I did. I mean, I've had to work through so much tat in the last few years of clearing out my collection. Magazines like Rides had interviews with Tyrese Gibson. There was a, an issue where Megan Fox was in it. So I bought any related magazines any posters i even took like a display off a wall of bumblebee serves me right it was nicked off me eventually at that botcon 2007 along with the diaclone powered convoy can you believe someone nicked that from me Ooh, yeah, yeah. What? that was taken from me in the lobby of the hotel that i was staying at botcon what like did you just not did you just turn around as one of just half we had so on? much stuff we had so many bags and i was with the uh, space bridge who was obviously he was dealing at the show so he had cases of toys dealing toys right brought. Yes, doing toys. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> and I had just put this little bag down with the Bumblebee uh, display in it, and uh, my Diaclone Power Convoy was in that little bag as well, and somebody just had it, and it was gone, uh, which is very sad. But, That's terrible, um, man. Oh, in, yeah, in, in that environment as well, do you know what I mean? Like in that, you really don't, it, conventions and stuff, it's like a whole... Oh, stuff gets nicked thing, at conventions all the time. I, I know it does, I know, but it's just so disappointing that it's it like is, you're yeah. all there for a common purpose and just yeah. like... Yeah, but you get all sorts of a gathering like that, don't you? Yeah. Anyway, so I, I shipped these toys home. Uh, when I got home, um, the first movie toy I bought was jazz because like you, Liam, I was super into jazz. And even though it wasn't like highly complex, it was still fun because I was so into it. Uh, I gave it a lot of um, leeway, you know, that it that it was different. And obviously yeah. remember, this is just after the first wave, uh, first couple of waves of classics. So that's where we were in terms of, toy technology and i was mostly a g1 collector i didn't really pick up many classics besides starscream and mirage so still very chunky unicron trilogy like isn't so. it there's a lot of that i mean the prime things. was really yeah. chunky but i loved the vehicle mode on the prime and i remember there were so many 
things in the UK we got that weren't available in the US. They came out in the UK first. Like there was a, a Prime and an Optimus two pack, the Voyager Optimus and the and the Deluxe Bumblebee. There was the like you said, the old Bumblebee and the new Bumblebee. I remember when that new Bumblebee came out, it was like really scarce. And every time I'd see one in stores, I would grab the uh, concept Camaro because we'd seen it on the Hasbro tour of the Rhode Island factory. And we'd seen what that toy was going to look like. And it was like, I can't wait for that to hit stores. It was probably the most accurate looking toy of the lot of them at that time because Megatron really didn't look. I didn't even open my Megatron in the end. I had the, the leader Megatron, never opened it. And I never got Leader Brawl either because that was super tough to find and mega expensive. That was for yeah. years, though, that toy. Um, I remember getting the Blackout and being really impressed with Blackout. And we saw um, all the artists and designers at Rhode Island. They were hand-painting the repaint of that Blackout toy, which was EVAC. Uh, and they were making these toys. We saw so many hard copies and prototypes and test shots on that tour. And the movie was really front and center. Like all the prototypes that they had for the movie, all the concept art, they'd stuck that front and center for people to see on the tour. Like a resin cast prototype of that Optimus Prime voice changer helmet that you were just showing us. They had that on on display. And they were showing us real gear toy uh, designs on concept boards and stuff. So yeah, I bought all of those toys in the first wave. And I remember going to Argos because that was the only place you could get the the Nightwatch version of the Leader Prime. It was like Leader Prime, but in blue, dark blue and black. Yeah. And you got a massive lenticular Bumblebee poster with it. I remember going to Woolworths and taking, asking them like, hey, do you guys mind if I take the toy display? You know, the big massive standees they had. I was walking down Wood Green High Road with my friend carrying a freaking six foot Optimus Prime display when they were done with it. My house was full of this crap. And I, I couldn't even give it away by the end when I finally got rid of that stuff. It was just one of those things where I got totally caught up in it, massively hyped and collected everything. And in the end, it was worth nothing to anybody, really. Um, a lot of it that, just I gave away. But some of it... Sound, was, that doesn't sound like you at all. Yeah, right. But no, I was super <laughs> into the say, toys like, that year. I still really like the Starscream. I, I think I would buy that again, that Voyager I remember, Starscream. I remember you had the standees. You had the, yeah. the Megan Fox and, and Shia LaBeouf. LeBeouf standees was that right? No, or just Megan only Fox? robot standees, just robots. You, you had just, uh, you had a was it a you had a thing? Maybe they were on the same thing. I it was years ago now, a couple of years back at TFN, and you were trying to get rid of it. And it was like maybe they were together on the same thing, and it was like a bigger fold out cardboard thingy. Yeah, they but... they might have been front and center on it, but then you had like uh, Megatron and Optimus heads on either side, right? Because okay. because I remember so, I got I, one from a cinema as well. But there was could've, a really big one that. where all the characters were attached by Velcro to a central image. And that was a massive store display. And I had to store that in separate pieces behind a cupboard for years because it was so big. But yeah, um, my mom was so thrilled when I got rid of those. So <laughs> and they just ended up in recycling. I mean, I offered them for free to people. Like, I was like, just come and pick this it up. Like, like no one wanted them. The most classic yeah, Maz really thing was. ever. Yeah, it's it really just was. like the, the insight into who Maz is. Goes all in when he really likes so, so all into in. that toy line, yeah. I remember having the when the videos the videos, the DVDs came out, I remember having the posters from the video stores. Like it was like a, a plastic one, you know, where the sort of like vacuum done or whatever. And they sort of stick oh, out sure. a little bit. So we had I remember a mate of mine worked at the I think it was like called Silver Screen, one of those shops, a chain store, and he kept giving me those. And they were pretty cool for the I had uh, I had the DVD um 
I think I still got it actually. The transforming DVD. Have you seen that? With the, yeah, the, the Bumblebee. The, yeah, the Bumblebee, yeah, yeah. and there's there's one for the Re- Re- Revenge of the Fallen as well. I think um, that kind of has like a plastic case that transforms sort of into a robot. It's a bit, yeah. it's a bit naff, but it's kind of fun. Yeah, it was totally naff. So obviously, in 2007, a lot of the toys weren't particularly screen accurate, uh, and they were mainline toys mostly, all mainline toys. But as I don't know whether we're going to do episodes on the subsequent movies and eras of those toys, but when they got to Revenge of the Fallen in about 2009, we had um, you know we were looking at masterpiece level Transformers, and even though they weren't actually masterpiece toys, they were repurposed mainline toys. But we had Human Alliance as well, and I feel like at that period of time was when we really started to get screen accuracy and sort of more high end movie toys, and. Uh, yeah, so Sixo, you would you would have been into the masterpiece at that time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, not so much actually at the time with the two, uh, the first two MPM toys, as they are, you know, uh, movie masterpiece toys were repurposed from essentially what were mainline toys, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then kind of brought out later. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I had both of those at uh, one stage or another. The Starscream actually, I still think it's really good. I think if it had um, if it had uh, bicep swivel. It would be a perfect representation of that character in toy form, but yeah, it's funny to me that actually the best. Well, it, it's a subjective thing, of course it is, but the the I suppose the most screen accurate representations of those characters from two thousand seven, if anything, have all come in third years. Parties, right? Well, not I wasn't going to say third parties. I was just going to say in years later, you know, much following, you know, mm-hmm. way, way, way after the films themselves. To the point where, I mean, actually, I think the MPM toys that you're getting now are, generally speaking, really good. I mean, there's been a, you know, I, I just recently did some photos of Ratchet, you know, that's just come out not so long ago. And that was, for me, that was completing that Autobot lineup, you know, the five core mm-hmm. Autobots uh, in MPM form. And it was very, very rousing experience. I, I loved it. And, you know, those five toys, in a way, it's it's really funny to see because, it's it's a combination of something that's been many years in the making, and they're not all perfect toys, but they are fantastic looking toys. They are, um, you know, there is a kind of marvel at the engineering in them and everything, and and actually as a whole package, despite the the flaws and everything that you get in that set, it's still wonderful to see those Autobots represented so accurately and so stunningly in toy form. Seeing all five of them lined up in car form. And in robot mode is immense. It's absolutely. And it's, it's obvious that there's still a desire and a market for this for these toys, even yeah, though they so. are the characters from the 2007 movie. Like yeah, even jazz. I, think, I think so. I think so. There's there's a bit of a trend now with Bumblebee, uh, the film having kind of taken over that. So, you know, mm-hmm. like even even with MPM, you know, you've got MPM Optimus that's just come out, stuff like that. So there's a bit of a trend, I think, towards um, you know, like in studio series as well. Uh, you know, the, the kind of straying off a little bit towards that. But I think there is still an appetite. I think there's still a lot of people that would love to see more of the 2007 designs done. Um, I, I'd be well up for, I, you know, for more. We, start, we started to get that with Human Alliance in 2009. Like we got a Human Alliance jazz, which was bordering on being called a masterpiece. It was so fantastic a figure, great construction, beautiful modes, Top accuracy, amazing transformation. Like this was top end, extremely yeah, complex, as well. beautiful display piece. Like truly beautiful. The I, I thought the Human Alliance Bumblebee and Sideswipe were great. The Barricade was gorgeous. Roadbuster, yeah, I had. That's the only one I had, and that was yeah, fantastic. I agree with you. Roadbuster was one I bought much later, and it was great. 
so we did start to get like proper high end and they weren't priced high end you know these were still 40 pounds 50 pounds that kind of area uh, so there were that option for having super accurate slightly more complex movie toys was brilliant and there was such a desire for them um so the fact that it's moved on to masterpiece now and really super complex highly screen accurate ones it's almost a shame they didn't come earlier for me and even maybe 10 years ago i would have gone crazy for them but um now i just can't even imagine buying buying movie toys again like uh, of that description but this is one of the one of the things sorry that makes the movie toys so interesting like there's no other series like it because they're not all a homogenous line but the idea in the movie toys is every for every film they're refining the same design and the toys you see if you look at each movie's toys you see the same designs Mm. but better or closer to the screen whereas if you look at g1 and then generations you see the generations you get different takes on those same sort of characters but they're not all just trying to get to that to the perfect jazz whereas you get to the studio series now and they're unrecognizable from them mm. early toys because they look so good. Same with the masterpieces. And you don't see that in any other Transformers line because it's it's not the same idea, is it? With all the movie toys, it's always to look as accurate because that's what the cars are and the vehicles. And and it's amazing seeing that over like 15 years. Right. How they've evolved I, I wonder how many, someone will know, I'm sure, how many Bumblebee movie toys there are. You know, just to try and get something that looks like that character from the one film. There must be, I don't know. I mean, dozens, hundreds. I don't know. Yeah, I, I did a TF Source collector interview with a guy who had a room entirely dedicated to to Bumblebee, and a lot of it was movie toys. The guy's name was Ben. You should you should check it out, man. It was an incredible display of purely. Mo- Is it Ben or B? Ah. <laughs> but yes, it was all Bumblebee toys. You're right. It was just so just so prolific. Yeah. We're putting out Bumblebee yeah. toys. It's it's crazy, isn't it? It's the same with the Optimus Prime, though. Like every year, it seemed there was. There's even now you still get like mm. multiple releases of that original movie toy, like in a new form. And it's just, it's, I remember like there was a joke a little while ago because people always used to say, "Oh God, G1 Optimus Prime," but then I remember people getting really excited in Studio Series when they did a new version of that movie toy with a more accurate trailer hitch. <laughs> And you're like, and you're like, it's the same. Yeah. And people are like, don't excited. Like, no, but the trailer hitch is. Well, we've wanted this trailer hitch, and you're like, that's that's fair. But that's that's what the movie toys are. They just inch closer to as accurate as they can get. Like the masterpiece is amazing. I just want anyone with a few. I, I kind of now feel tempted to see how far they've come with perfecting those movie toys because I, I have so many clear memories of two, how, 2007 and Human Alliance in 2009 and mainline stuff. But then that's when I stopped buying them. Uh, so I think Dark of the Moon, I had a couple of human alliances as well. I never bought Soundwave as it happens. Buster Prime is the one I remember as the most complex movie toy I owned. And that, that was, was a real desirable stunning. thing. That yeah, was like everybody wanted that toy. That was like the one, wasn't it? So, For yeah. years, that was like the number was, one, wasn't it? That was the one. Because it was, as, the finish I think on it was, was delightful. Yeah. And it, and it was and it looked you know about as close as you could get, wouldn't it? Everybody sort of touted it as like the one to get for screen accuracy and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen the the three zero stuff that's coming out now as well, which looks I have incredible. seen it. Yeah, I mean that that's incredible stuff. Like looking at your photos of the Bumblebee movie stuff. I mean, I I think I the only struggle I would have is I don't mind non transforming toys when they look that good. They serve a purpose, but. Um, I wonder if the masterpiece versions of those toys do both modes uh, enough justice because 
I I really did love the alt modes of everything they used in the 2007 mm. movie. Like those cars were were gorgeous. I I even like the the Ironhide and the Ratchet, and it just reminds me. I don't know if you guys ever experienced it, but those toys for 2007, especially the Voyagers, they had a quite a lot of automorph in them. Like I remember yeah. Ratchet's legs very distinctly was the first time I kind of experienced automorph in a Transformer. I could see what they were going with, and obviously that then evolved in in the further movie lines that they did but yeah i mean i can see the appeal of having a totally beautiful cast of the first movie now in the best versions of them that there are yeah like i have the the movie masterpiece of Optimus prime and bumblebee and they're just spectacular like they're you know as much as i love mp10 and other stuff, stuff i don't look at another one and think they've captured it as well as that movie masterpiece Optimus mm. prime like when i look at it it just looks like the screen come to life in a way, I don't think any other toys does, but but it's because of that movie aesthetic and it being realistic, if that makes sense, rather than looking mm. like a cartoon or a toy. And it's there's a different sort of ethos to it. Humans don't deserve to live. They deserve to choose for themselves. And you will die with them. We've talked about toys. We've talked about the branding. We've talked about fandom and just the reaction generally. But of course, it, it all comes back to the movie for 2007. So... How about we all just uh, talk about our favorite scene from the 2007 movie, the one that really stands out, that if you were just going to put the DVD on or the Blu-ray or whatever and just fast forward to one scene, which one would it be? Uh, for me, it's the obvious one. It's the blackout scene. I just think that, I know we spoke about it loads, but I just think that is such a perfect encapsulation, not just of the film, but of everything around the film. Because we all, like we said, that's the thing. It was like this instant rush and it's, that's the opening to the movie. That's where you walk into the movie universe yes, for the first that's time. Yes, the Transformers and movie it, universe entrance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that is such a statement. And it's even it's got the original sound effect is even thrown in there, the transformation sound effect. That bit when he sets off the little EMP or whatever and it blows the windows out and stuff. And when they're running about, and it's like the military stuff at that time was still quite new. And it was interesting to see it like in that setup because we were still at the start of the war with Afghanistan. It's that era, isn't it? We're like five or six years in. So seeing a film like that, and it's just, I just don't think anything tops it in the Transformers movies. I think that is the scene. And it's the obvious one, but it is that good because everything about it, even we were talking about earlier how it's, it starts off in daytime, but when he transforms, it's nighttime. Watching it again today, it's the, one of the first times I actually picked up each scene, you see the sun going down a little bit more and a little bit more. And so it actually sort of makes a little bit sense. And yeah, I just think it's Check so Check out the day-night apologist for the Bay movie here. Mm. No time, daytime. <laughs> Sixo, what about you? What's your standout scene from the 2007 movie? Oh, well, I, I think, you know, you, you couldn't have a discussion like this uh, without mentioning surely the scene where the dog urinates on the robot um no that's not that's not the one i'm gonna go for that's not (laughs) that's not the one that's not what i'm going for uh we can all live without that no i think um probably the the autobot arrival scene i think it's it's again it's another classic it's obvious hey ho sue me i i think the the scene everything from uh you know watching the autobots arrive the the whole bit of um you know, everybody kind of going crazy as the asteroids are landing and all of that. Uh, they're not asteroids, haha, you know, asteroids in disguise. Mm. And um, <laughs> and then <laughs> whatever that is. And uh, and then, you know, the bit to the, the, the music kind of kicking in, the Autobots arriving, it's very nicely done. Like even little touches of the siren suddenly bleeping, you know, on Ratchet 
um, as, as you're aware that more Autobots are yeah. kind of entering the scene and suddenly the siren goes off and things like that, through to that montage of all five of them transforming in unison, I think is is really well done. And to be honest, at the time, I mean, I'd never seen anything like that. Like the the CGI was incredible at the time. Still, as you said, Mez, I think holds up now that scene. But honestly, I mean, you know, five, six, seven films in with this franchise, it's hard to appreciate just how jaw-dropping that whole sequence was at the time. And even seeing it now, there's a bit of nostalgia thrown in with it, I'm sure. But um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just very, very exciting film sequence for me that will never go away. I showed that to my boy, that whole bit, recently. Uh, as a little snippet, he's not seen the whole film, but he did show him that bit, and and even he was like, "Whoa!" Do you know what I mean? As they're all transformed, I can imagine, yeah, so, yeah, it's very exciting. That transformation is a signature moment, isn't it, from that film? Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but a lot of the press stuff you would see would be like little making of bits, and it would always be that Optimus Prime transforming, and they would talk about how they laid out all the parts for the truck and stuff. So that's why it goes on for so long it's every you see almost every part of a vehicle yeah there are, it was like they were like so the, proud are, of it and rightly so because it's spectacular well exactly there are bits in the in this film and certainly in the later films where they just they 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 almost don't take their time with it enough do you know what i mean like they they squeeze through things and it's yeah. all blurry and like what's going on here do you know what i mean and the, but there are moments in the 2007 film where they do actually allow themselves to just slow it down just that little bit and just kind of luxuriate in what's going on almost. And that is one of those moments where they just, they make the most, you know, things like the wheels stopping on Optimus's legs and stuff like that. It's all there. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. they really make the most of what's going on in that, uh, that sequence. And I, I think it's a culmination of all of the design work that went into that, that, you know, that robot mode and that uh, transformation all of the uh, incredible um, effects work and everything in there as well, the direction, all of it, it all adds up. And it's, I think, very, very incredible scene. I think um, those two would be my picks as well. Absolutely. Those are the bits I would always forward to or rewind to. And we spoke about it earlier, the the scene where Starscream transforms in midair and starts taking out the other raptors is Mm. one I've always really, really loved as well. Can I also just give a quick shout out to that scene, what Sixo was talking about, but the kid who runs across the thing shouting, this is 500 times better than Armageddon yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's... That bit. It still makes me laugh every yeah, time yeah. I see it. Like, it just... And then Ratchet just, like, rolls out of the, the compound. And it's really funny because they're all watching him going, what's making that noise? And he just rolls out and they're just like, oh, it obviously yeah. can't be this truck. That's he's, 40, he's, he's 47 <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> he said that kid, he's, like, he's probably, you know... Getting on for retirement age before too long, do you know what I mean? You risked your life to protect the cube. No sacrifice. No victory. Well, that basically covers everything we wanted to say about the 2007 movie and the scene and the toys surrounding it at the time. I want to give another thanks to TF Source, our sponsor, uh, for supporting the show. Uh, Please do remember to check out tfsource.com for all of your recently enabled uh, movie-related toy needs, because that does kind of tend to happen when we do an episode. So uh, do check them out, tsource.com. And I also want to give a shout-out to our top-tier patrons, our Sixos Butlers. So I want to say a big thank you to Nick, to Jonathan FalseLogic Howard, Dean Watts, Danny Roberts, 
Chris C137, Andy, Preston, Brian Fox, and Cannon, and also Chris. So thank you so much for your support, guys. Uh, very much appreciated. And uh, Sixo, do you want to tell them a bit more about our Patreon? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, well. It's going it's going really well for us. It's a relatively new venture, but um, you know we're really trying to put a lot of heart and soul into it. And uh, you can get a lot of additional content on our Patreon. So it's available at uh, patreon.com forward slash triple takeover or one word. And there is a lot of exclusive content on there. So not only do you get to listen to these episodes early, so if you're listening to this now before the uh, kind of general admission, if you like, then uh, congratulations. Well, welcome to the club. Uh, but also you get a lot of outtakes and things like that as well. And, and I think for me, the really kind of quality bit of, uh, you know, the kind of very special bit of content on there is the bonus mini-sodes that we do. So we've just done an extra one on the 1985 Autobot cars, which went live uh, not so long ago. And, you know, as I say, all those Sixos Butlers uh, people, they will be able to listen to that. And, uh, yeah, if you want to sign up, then please do. We're very, very grateful. And for us, it, it, you know, just like along with the sponsorship, it just helps us to kind of keep the lights on and keep the whole thing going. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of social media, uh, you can follow Triple Takeover on social media. We are on Facebook as uh, Triple Takeover, one word. We are on Instagram and Twitter at triple underscore takeover. And don't forget to follow the Instagram for a lot more photo content than we put out on our other social channels as well. Um, Liam, where can our followers find you on social? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Toybot Soapbox. And Sixo? I'm all the same and YouTube at Sixo TF. And I'm at TF Square One, that's one word, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So fate has yielded its reward, a new episode to call done. We are Triple Takeover, and we send this message to any surviving listeners taking refuge amongst other era of Transformers. We are here, we are waiting. Oh, 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 oh,